coming to you live from the Badlands of Texas, 360 degrees all the way around the earth, all the way around the world, directly into your earbuds. You're listening, you're watching Midnight Radio. I'm your host, Joe Schmimmons. How's everybody doing out there tonight? How are you doing? I'm not doing very damn well. Let me tell you why. Here on Midnight Radio, we have a merch shop. The merch shop is on midnightrad.io. That's our website, midnightrad.io. And on that little website, we have a merch shop. And on that little merch shop, we have different things. And um, here's an example. I'm a little bit neurotic if you haven't noticed. This is a Midnight Radio coffee mug. Has our fantastic logo on it right there, just like our cap. Should you get one or should you win one? Matter of fact, I will be giving away a cap today. You have to comment, not in the chat room, in the comment section of this video. Make a comment on the video, and we're going to give a cap out to one of you, Midnight Radio Cap. Because last week we tried to give one away. Nobody took it, or two weeks ago, whenever the hell it was I was on. All right, so I, I'd test all of our products because I'm a little bit neurotic. So I looked at the patches for the jean jacket. It's the Midnight Radio patch for the jean jacket. Looks just like that, except you put it on your arm. Looks great. Fantastic. Midnight Radio t-shirts. Fan-damn-tastic. Coffee cups, I showed you that. Wine tumblers, I'm assuming there's no... I'm assuming there's no uh, complaints on those. I don't know. Several people have ordered them. If you have any complaints, let me know. I'm not a drinker, so I didn't order those. But even though I'm a man, I ordered one of these. One of these cups. This was designed by a member of our community. I I ordered it to see how it is. I'm holding it straight, but it's crooked. The damn logo on it's crooked. Do you see that? How many? There's several of you that have ordered this cup this pink cup and the logo's crooked. I don't, I pulled this off the store. If anybody wants a refund, let me know. These aren't for sale anymore. So this was a very limited item. Hold it down. If anybody has any problems, you let me know. I'm in complete control of the merch store. If you don't, if you have an issue, let me know if you have problems shipping or some of that, you can call the, the one 800 number, their customer satisfaction and, uh, it's fantastic. But as far as having, you know, bum ass, it looks cool, but it's not, it's not, it's not even, we might try to get that fixed or we might just have that as a, you know, something that came and went also where the hell have I been? Well, as I told you many months ago, when my ass got fired from my job, I didn't get fired. The whole company shut down, which isn't any better. I'm unemployed. I was working on getting employed. It didn't work. So here I am. I don't plan on going anywhere else. Uh, I'll let you know what the schedule will be when I know what the schedule will be. Let me go ahead and put, just in case you don't know, there's rules. Just basically be respectful right there. And you know what show you're watching. You got a whole lot of stuff today. It is truly a Fruit Loop Friday. It's going to be very disturbing. Let me tell you that. I'll tell you what else is disturbing. What am I going to do for a job? We're working on issues right now we're having with the radio station. You can listen to it. Matter of fact, you're listening, some of you are listening to me live right now on Midnight Radio. Midnightrad.io. We're broadcasting live. We have a 
Amazon app where you can say, you can tell your Alexa device to enable midnight radio. And you have that app on there. You can hear a stream live, whenever I'm here live on YouTube, which is where we film or one of our DJs goes live. We have one live every night, just about. You can check that out there. Streaming live also on our website. We have a Amazon, Amazon. We have a Android app. It's fantastic. So yeah. Recently we lost a DJ. Mrs. Midnight stepping down. She does, doesn't want to do it anymore. That's fine. No questions asked. However, I was thinking about, you know, me doing a show on there. You know, other than this one, uh, a radio show, you know, a music show. But uh, I'm also going to have to find a different job because it's just not happening. It's just not happening. I should do one of those videos that I see all over YouTube. Hey, there's a, I had a video that had 50,000 views. How much did I get paid? Oh, it's like 69 cents. Um, I think I'm, I think I'm going to get a job delivering pizza, but I'm also going to do broadcast on the radio while I'm doing it. Uh, is, I'm going to call a special delivery with Gerald Schmimmons. I'd be going to people's house. I only get you a pizza, but I'll play your song on the radio and uh, I'll broadcast live as I'm delivering folks their pizzas here in my hometown, which I've never disclosed to you. How about that? I think I'll call it special delivery with Gerald Schmimmons. How about that? I think it'll be fantastic. Well, I want to thank our executive producers for this show. I do not and will not, cannot, shall not ever forget who you are, but I shall drink some Pellegrino. Show's brought to you by Pellegrino. I'd like to thank our executive producers, Lady B Rockin', Annabelle Stealth, and Lady Lisa. Ladies, thank you very much for keeping the show going. That is one night I don't have to be delivering pizzas. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Cracking jokes. I will, I'll say I'll have hot. Hot pizzas, cold cases, probably on Saturday night on Midnight Radio. Midnight Radio special, everybody. All right, the first thing I want to talk about tonight, we're going to start out with the Idaho 4 case. I I have some mainstream information. I also have some very damn disturbing wild-ass speculations and wild-ass theories that not me, it's not from me, it's from other people. But this is a show we take all your wild-ass speculations, wild-ass theories, old-ass theories, tame-ass theories, smelly-ass theories, sideways theories, all your theories. Matter of fact, there's a phone number up there, 325-261-0892. Don't tune out. This is some crazy, crazy stuff. But some of it sometimes kind of kind of makes you wonder makes you think it's the stuff you wouldn't get on regular tv i'll tell you that although we have some of that too i'm trying to work up to warning you about this and 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 as bad as it's going to get with some of the things we're going to look at that some of these new 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 wild ass speculations about the idaho 4 case that we're going to look at tonight i got some really disturbing true crime cases after that, we're going to go on tonight. I'm not sure how long this show is going to last, two hours, three hours, or an hour and a half when I pass out. I don't know, but we're going to do it tonight, you and me on Midnight Radio. This shows a conversation with you, so if you haven't yet, please 
hit that subscribe button and hit the bell so you can join in the conversation because that's what this is, is a conversation with you. All right, let's start this. All right, we're going to let me maneuver it here. It just always creeps up on you. This is just, this is what I got your girl, Banfield. We're going to start with Banfield. We're not going to finish with Banfield, but by golly, gumdrops, we're going to start with her because she has something to say. She always has something to say, doesn't she? All right. Oh. As we're all talking about this, and as this goes to court tomorrow, today something very weird happened. Photo kind of out of nowhere from five years ago from a magazine called NCC Magazine, Northampton Community College Magazine. 2018 um, lecture and Q&A with famed author Margaret Atwood. Isn't that a nice picture? Except for that whole business about the guy who's seated in the front row clutching his copy of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, it's kind of like a sea of women who went to this, you know, predominantly feminist author's lecture and Brian Cole. Oh, no. Smiling. Whoa. She's book shaming him. Ashley Banfield is book shaming Kohlberger. Wow. Because he is the only man in there. There's, well, I can't, there looks like there might be one or two others. He's in the front row and she is book shaming him. I don't know how I feel about that. I know people that think he's innocent probably wouldn't like it. Has picture taken right there beside, uh, right there. It's, you can see it underneath the banner that says Northampton Community College. It's Margaret Atwood standing right there in the middle. It's just all very weird. But he did graduate from that school that year. He got his degree in arts and psychology. And if you have read or if you have seen The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu, um, it's about a futuristic society where women produce children for the ruling class, kind of like slave women. Not good when you are convicted or when you are accused, uh, you know, years later, five years later of murdering three women and a man. I want to bring in Caitlin Becker on this, the senior reporter for the dailymail.com, because I'm still trying to figure out how this all came to being. How? Did this picture surface? Who took it? Who found it? It's just kind of so random. Well, Ashley, like you said, it was part of this magazine for the community college where Brian attended and where this you know, speech and Q&A was held. And like most things, it popped up on Reddit kind of out of nowhere. I think, you know, people go back through some of their archives and then they suddenly find the connections with something you probably looked at a hundred times and never thought was important, but here it is. And there he is in the very front row of, I think, an unexpected place to be. I think a lot of people were surprised when they saw this, that he was there, but there is a part of me that just isn't shocked when I saw this. Everything that I know about Brian, I don't know about you guys, but that's about all I give a damn about as far as listening to him being in the front row. I got more. I got a lot more. A lot more disturbing. Check this out. So, Brian Kohlberger, one of the judge to pause the case. Why does, why does the defense want 
the judge to pause the case because the same reason we all had issue with the case, and that is uh, the secret jury. And they're they're talking about how that secret, that secret um, what do they call it? Uh, jury affected them. Let's let's check it out right now. So she's laying the groundwork for a motion to dismiss, huh. and what she's asking for pause this thing we want a timeout basically so we can assemble the information that we would have presented yeah. to the grand jury i got 30 yeah the secret grand jury no don't play nothing else i'm sorry I couldn't help it i like random dance parties but not from news nation Request by lawyers for nothing burger of the suspect in the University of Idaho murders to pause legal proceedings. Let's talk about that right now and what it entails. He was indicted by a secret grand jury. Well, turns out they have a problem with that. And um, one of the things that's really pissing me off just a little bit and I think it's pissing other people in America off. That's why I bring it up. And they're saying people are talking about how he did not enter a plea. And we watched the video after the court proceedings. The last one, this was about the gag order. The judge brought it up again. And I saw a video. I don't know how the hell News Nation got it. I looked for it again, couldn't find it. But I saw it where his judge Ann Taylor said to the judge, this was during the secret court proceeding, that he is not entering a plea. Now it's not, it's it's law that if you don't enter a plea, uh, the judge enter one, enters one for you and it's always not guilty, right? But still, it is an act to not enter a plea and just say, I don't enter a plea. That is an act to do that. There's a reason to do that. And it looks like the reason for doing that is right here. He declined to enter a plea. It's not normal. Don't let them say, oh, it's a normal thing here in Idaho. Oh, it's a normal thing for us not to give you information. It's a normal thing. No, it's not in the other states. And you don't just not enter a plea. You physically stand up, judge, my client does not enter a plea. It's a statement. Enough of the bullshitting, Idaho. The Idaho court system, we had somebody on here in December who was talking about it and the things that he went through there. It seems to be, from what I've heard, from people who've dealt with it. So this is secondhand information, but it's very close to the source, very corrupt. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's not looking good. It makes you wonder. It makes me wonder. He declined to enter a plea, prompting the judge to enter a not guilty plea on his behalf. Why do you think he did that? What statement was he was he making? Remember, his judge originally said that he was eager to be exonerated. Well, earlier this week, his lawyers filed court documents indicating that he might challenge the indictment, the secret grand jury indictment, saying he didn't have enough time to prepare because he knows. Ann Taylor said this. She wrote this. He knows there is exculpatory uh, evidence, and he didn't have time. They didn't have time to prepare that. 
for this secret grand jury and that the secret grand jury was convened so quickly that they think that they're biased. What exculpatory information do they have? Kohlberger's lawyers argue that the audio recordings and partial transcripts received by the grand jury for review did not include the exculpatory evidence. There are certain exists and would clear him of all charges. They're also saying that Bethany Funk knew about this information. This is why they requested to talk with her. They're now requesting the court forces the state to turn over all grand jury proceedings for review, arguing that during the six months of intense media coverage of the University of Idaho murders, it's possible that members of the jury had formed their own opinions on the case. A grand jury wasn't paneled at a time when the small community of Moscow had been exposed to six months of intense national and international media coverage documents that submitted by the defense read this. Because the state has provided extensive discovery, Mr. Kohlberger knows that exculpatory evidence exists. Whether a felon impartial panel of grand jurors was established amidst intense media coverage is a significant question the defense must evaluate. Essentially, Kohlberger's lawyers are asking to review all documents which the grand jury had access to and potentially toss out their indictment and have more time to prepare their defense, especially as the charges against a 28-year-old carry the death penalty. So, you have a right to a speedy trial, which he threw that out. You know, he waived his right to a speedy trial. They waited. He's about to go to trial now in October, actually, is when it happens. And he need, he, he's saying he wants more time. We read the paperwork where the defense sent paperwork to the prosecutor's office saying, where's the exculpatory evidence? And they said, what exculpatory evidence? They're like the ones that prove that my uh, client is innocent. They said, there's nothing that exists on God's green earth that does that. This is continuing to be what is going on. Now, there's some lawyers that are saying, oh, this is just something that happens. This is just a part of natural back and forth in the court process. But again, it's one of the things they are saying, and they continue to say in Idaho, is believe me and not your own eyes. It is normal for you not to have any information. It is normal for us to gag everything and not send it out to the press. It's normal for us to cause this big a stir on a murder case. This is you, not us. This is your problem, not ours. And the pot gets stirred and people get upset and there's more people talking about it and they're going to come up with the well, I have speculations that we're going to go over here in a little bit, and I'm telling you, we're going to go over that, and you're going to know what I'm talking about. When you have a grand jury in most jurisdictions, you have to give the defense the opportunity to present exculpatory evidence, if you will, once you know the grand jury is happening. The challenge to exculpatory evidence, what I think the argument, they're laying the groundwork to the argument is, hey, we know there's exculpatory evidence. We didn't get a chance to present that. That is all right, even though it's a secret proceeding. This is what Garagos said. He added that Kohlberger's lawyer, Ann Taylor, is laying the groundwork for a motion to dismiss 
again, laying the groundwork for a motion to dismiss. And what she's asking for, pause this thing. We want time out, basically, so we can assemble the information that we have presented to the grand jury. Do you believe, I'm asking this question right now, do you believe there's exculpatory evidence, and that is evidence that can be presented to a jury of rational people, a jury of peers, and they would look at that and say, oh, oh, hell, no. No, he didn't do this. Sculptory evidence. Do you believe that exists? This shows a conversation with you. Let me know in the comment section. We're giving away a hat today. If you do a comment in the comment section, not, not in the um, chat room, but in the comments below the video, we're going to do a drawing, and you're going to get a midnight radio hat. Question is, you put whatever you want, but I'm asking you, do you believe this evidence exists? Now, what kind of evidence on this green earth could possibly exist that could exonerate this man to say, okay, my bad, you're off. Shit, if they would have told me that, I wouldn't have indicted you. Let me know what you think. We're going to go over some wild ass speculations. I want to know what your speculation is. I'm going to go over to the chat room right now. I want to see what you're saying because I asked that question. An innocent person does not wait six months or longer to give an alibi. Um, I agree with you, but here's, here's the deal. We don't know if he's given an alibi or not because we're blocked from knowing anything because we are peasants. We can't handle the truth. We are but little children. We, we're not citizens. If he has an alibi, he doesn't need to wait. Tell the truth. He's telling it to somebody, but they ain't telling it to us. With the possible say this trial might not happen until next year or so. Truer words have never been spoken, at least not tonight. Annabelle Stealth, save me from having my husband's book. I don't know what that means. There have been thousands of innocent people that had no alibi. Absolutely true. I always comment, but must speak my piece now. LOL. Fantastic. Jin takes it off. Did the judge ever rule about the gag order yet? I've not heard so, but I will talk about it here. Let's go over this, and then, and then we're going to dive headfirst into some of the craziest stuff I've ever seen before regarding this case, but he demands videos and DNA evidence. He claims the state is withholding and could prove his innocence. Now, I thought to myself long and hard, what, as I was drinking from my midnight radio coffee cup, if you'd like to hit that subscribe button and join the conversation, and for God's sakes, please hit that like. Thank you very much. Brian Kohlberger, Demand says there's videos. He says DNA evidence that could prove his innocence. That's what his defense are saying. What the hell could he say? Um, yeah, well, my DNA is on that sheath. I was holding it for a friend officer. What the hell could he possibly say? I thought. These are thoughts going through my head. It would make everything that he did and all the evidence that they have 
Makes sense. And not that, he, that he's not the killer also. I thought about that. And I thought, well, and this does go to some of the wild ass spe- speculations. We're going to read tonight. What if he was there all the time and he was relapsing on drugs and he did get drugs, maybe not from the house, but maybe from the area, maybe from some of the people he knew. I mean, I showed you two weeks ago, I showed you a video that made it look like, uh, oh, what's her name? What's her, what's her name? Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. The drug dealing girl. Hmm. Superstar. What's her name? Started with a B. My mind goes blank. But their known drug dealer was at the house. Maybe. Maybe. Got drugs there. Maybe he was in the house before. I don't know. This all seems pretty far shot or not. Circumstances. Let's check this out. What the hell is he talking about here? This is from the paperwork. Number five, Mr. Kohlberger requests in order for the state to disclose the following items included in the defendant's second supplemental request for discovery. All reports, notes, recordings, and photos. As of May 4th, 2023, counsel has not received the requested materials. On information and belief, counsel believes these materials contain exculpatory evidence. She filed a motion to compel discovery in Latah, claiming that prosecutors have yet to turn over crucial evidence that she believes could help her client in the case. We went over this May the, in May the 8th. This is from May the 8th. And they're saying they still are not getting the exculpatory evidence that they know exists. That they're saying they don't have the evidence they know exists that will exonerate their client. And the prosecution is saying, saying there is no exculpatory video. There's no DNA. There's no audio recordings. Although they, they do talk about audio recordings even more. It will exonerate Brian Kohlberger. It doesn't exist. So is this some procedural game that Ann Taylor's playing? It might be. We're going to find out. All right. I told you we're going to go over some wild-ass speculation and some wild-ass theories. Saying, you prove he's not being framed. That is Fritz von Dorsend. If they don't have it, how do they know it exists? I bet there's a lot of DNA in the house just saying it was a party house. No telling what there's on the walls. Moscow is framing them. They won't listen to his alibi anyway. If he had given an alibi, why is he still locked up? Hmm. Just because you have an alibi. how, How would that go? This is very interesting. If he had an alibi, why is he still locked up? Um, I, well, officer, you you know, I, I was there, I was buying drugs, but I didn't murder anybody. You know, I drove my car there, but I didn't go in because I chickened out because I just, you know, I've been trying to get off drugs. You know, I think it could be something like that. But again, it's just speculation of all that speculation. 
on my case. Let's look at this wild, wild ass stuff right now. We're we're about to head into it, folks. All right. So the this is some disturbing stuff. I'm gonna tell you this right now. These aren't my beliefs. They belong to the people who believe them, the people who said these things. It's not me. I'm presenting them. That's what I do here. I present these wild ass speculations and wild ass theories, or you present yours. Matter of fact, if you have a theory, here's a phone number. You can call someone who cares. A person's me. I want to hear your wild ass. 325-261-0892. If you got a tip, give it to the cops. Have a wild ass speculation. And Smimmons is your man. 325-261-0892. I'm not going to talk to you. Leave me a message. I'll play it on the show. 325-261-0892. That is 325-261-0892. Eight, nine, two. All right. From here on out, things are about to get crazy. Things are about to get dark. I warned you. Here we go. I am not joking. All right, let me pull this up. I'm about to go to crazy town. I'm going to pull up, hold on, let me pull up a file real quick. All right. I might just do, I swear everything's, everything's fine until you hit that live button. All right. First of all, play this for you so I don't know what you guys think about this I gotta pull a few of these up here hold on have patience with me I wasn't gonna do this but then I decided yeah I'm gonna do this I got your boy, Justin. Justin's back. Remember Justin? Well, he's talking about Dylan being transsexual. Well, a lot of that is what they're saying with these wild ass speculations. And apparently Justin might be the one heading that or involved in that. Well, check this out. All right, I got one more video to pull up. Hold on a second. This is a shocker. But I want you to follow the logic here. I'm not talking against this person. Don't know this person. I uh, don't care to know anybody. All right. Are you ready? I'm going to play the last one first. And the first shall be last. So say it. This is the latest thing that Justin is saying. And I want you to listen because it's short so you have plenty of time to listen to it and apply logic here we go hey everybody it's wednesday june 14th 11 11 p.m chicago time as evidenced right here on my ipad and this is a quick note to tell you that the dna that was on the sheath does not belong to brian koberger nor does it belong to his father Did you hear that? Let's continue. 
and I quote, but does not exclude the father. Let me repeat myself, and I quote, but does not exclude the father. Now, if the DNA that was found on that sheath was a match to Brian Koberger, then his father would have been excluded. He would have been ruled out as a suspect, but that did not happen. Why didn't that happen? Because that DNA on that knife sheath does not belong to Brian, nor does it belong to his father. It belongs to someone else entirely unrelated to them. That is what the prosecution is hiding. The prosecution has that DNA evidence, which exonerates Brian Koberger, but does not exclude the father. This isn't Brian's DNA. But does not exclude the father. It doesn't say it does exclude it. What the hell are you talking about? All right, next. Second one. And I'm playing second. This is called My Dad New Fry. Hey, guys. I want to give you some background information. My father was besties with Chief Fry. My father worked with Chief Fry. My father worked with Chief Fry's father. My Aunt Linda also worked with Chief Fry and Chief Fry's father. They all worked together at Mercolatino, which was a technology company before it went under and got bought out and renamed Marco Technologies. My Uncle Dave is a dentist and orthodontist. He knows the Funk family. My cousin Nikki is a cop for Rock Falls and Rockford PD. She knows Brent Kopaka. And I got assigned to Kyle Payne at Fort Benning as my CO. Furthermore, my cousin Randy from Southampton, PA, right next door to Albrightsville, PA, has his hands in the real estate money laundering cookie jar. He's been laundering money by purchasing and selling single family residences, along with Fry and his cronies. Because Fry's got his hand in the same cookie jar. And my dad knew about it. My dad was investigating Fry when my dad died. I am in the middle of all of this crap for a fucking reason. All right. Did you guys get that? So if my dad married a widow lady and I married that widow's lady's daughter, I would be my own grandpa. I need to show you guys something. I need to show you guys something. All right, now this is where I need your help. I'll read this to you. St. Mary's of Huntley Council, 11666, all very creepy. Robin J. Papworth, Charter Deputy Grand Knight. The hell is that? What is a Charter Deputy? What is a Grand Knight? Is that a Shriner or something? hell are we talking about what does that mean guys my dad was a deputy grand knight my father was a deputy grand knight again this might be ignorance on my part 
No doubt that's something ideal in here, but at least I admit it. If you think I'm ignorant, hit the like button. If you like what you're listening to, hit the like button. What the hell is a deputy grand knight of what? Is that like the King Mayor of Funky Town? What the hell are we talking about? My father was next in line to be the grand knight. Next in line. Someone shut my father up. My father knew something he wasn't supposed to know. If you knew my father, you have some serious explaining to do. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. All right, look at the chat room. Chat room has answers. Somebody said KKK. I don't think it's the KKK or nobody would be talking about that here on YouTube. Surely nobody there. I have no clue. Must be located in Delusionville. Somebody said uh, must be a Mason, Freemasons. I'm thinking maybe. Yeah, it is a wizard France. What is a wizard France? Franz. Everything I thought I knew about my father has been a fucking lie. All of it. Maybe it is a KKK. My father was mixed up in some shit. And someone needs to start talking. I don't know what the hell is going on with this, but I thought it, I would share it with you because it is in the information that I received. I've got a lot more. Don't worry. I'm just starting here. Huh. All right, here we go. Just starting with this stuff. All right. This is from uh, the, the next things that I am going to read. Is some of it includes Justin. Somebody asked who the hell this guy was. His name's Justin. Um, but it's from a what we call Idaho Four community. And I'm going to read this stuff for you. I guess I'll try to show it to you. I'm trying to figure out what, what, what is the best way to do this. I mean, can you read that? You don't need to see me. It doesn't matter. All right. Mind shock. Here we go. Hope you can read it. I can't read it. I'm going to have to look at my... Pull it up. Check this out. Where the hell did it go? Good lordy. All right. So they're saying... Oh, hell. Let me play this video. Hold on. I got to play you a video first. There's a video. The video is very bad. No, not the Einenharsh video. Ha. Huh. All right, I'm not going to play the audio with this. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Okay, let me. Huh. All right, I'm going to show you. So this is a video from, I'm going to say it was from, it's from Van Life. And they are saying, Van Life is saying that this video is proof that there is an underground tunnel 
beneath the Idaho four house. Again, they're saying that there is a tunnel underneath the Idaho four house. Before I show this video, I want to say that if you subscribe to this channel and hit that bell, you can join the conversation here. At any time you can watch one of these videos as you're watching it, you can pause it. Call the phone number 325-261-0892 and leave up to a three-minute voicemail message. Tell us what you think. We'll play it on the show. All right. I'm going to play this for you right now. Boom, boom. Let me make sure you got it. All right. I'm just going to leave it like that. I might do this. Okay. So pause it right here. You, what the hell? Am I looking at lips? Am I looking at lady parts? What am I looking at? So we have some production quality here saying wrath, pride, lust, and envy on the four sides of the lips. And you see they're pointed at this one part of the house, okay? And you know this part of the house had the first part of the first floor was... The back part, there had a basement, and the basement was underground, of course. And that is what I'm seeing from this video. Uh, check this out. This is proof. A tunnel from under the apartment complex to 1122 King Road. Uh, check it out. I can't play the audio. This is supposedly from that house. Saying that there's an underground tunnel. Well, they're not talking. It's just playing some rap music under it. So this is uh, what they're referring to in the comments I'm about to show you. Proof that there's an underground tunnel. That's it. Seconds left. What's the next video? Las Vegas businessman's grave. All right, that's it. Uh, very odd, very odd. Again, this is from Van Life. Everything I talk about in this show, and I'm talking about, I have like 20-something uh, or more, 20-something, dozens of things I'm going to show you tonight. I always put a link to it in show notes. After the show, I put it up there for you. All right, I do that for you. Where is this picture from? Yes, Exactly. Somebody saying, where's this picture from? Hey, it's the dude, Electra. All right. Again, that's just a little background from some of the comments I'm about, about to show you right now. Um, here we go. I'm even going to put a link to the comments. All right. Here we go. First... Voice comment. If true, it could explain no blood outside of the home. Have you found out if there's a secret room inside 11122? All this adds up to why they want to pull it down before trial. Some people are saying they want to pull down the house before trial because there is a secret room. And the knowledge that that even exists would exonerate Kohlberger and point towards somebody else. There's a secret door downstairs. Next, I saw when I was in CJ's Live. I've been in the house a long time before and have heard of tunnels before, but I've never seen them with my own eyes. Not sure what the secret door leads to as of yet, but it's clearly there. 
can you even imagine the smell of getting i warned everybody this gets very disturbing all right very disturbing i'm gonna read it though can you even imagine the smell of blood that was inside that house but one was unaware yeah okay and this is unique van life look closer looks to me like there's blood drops on the ground sorry the video is fast for soldier doesn't take their time still asking for a better and slower motion video but i think they were scared down there unique van life i thought i saw some on the ground too i think they should leave it alone until after the trial in case the jury wants a walkthrough the jury did that at the parkland shooting scene they did continuing here I think they should leave it alone till after the trial. The jury, in case the jury wants to walk through, the jury did that at the Parkland shooting scene. It's quite common. There we go. It's quite common. It helps the jurors understand exactly the scene and try to piece together what unfolded. It's still trying to hide stuff, I think. It gets, it's getting there, guys. It's getting better. Not better. More disturbing, I should say. Okay, here we go. Very much more disturbing. If true, could explain. All right. All right. We already went over this. All right. Sorry about that. All right. Here we go. It's a reiteration. Still trying to hide stuff, I think. Okay. All right, here we go. Does anyone know of or has heard of Brent being killed on 1213, not the 15th? Yes, is in being. I heard it was happening when Brian and his dad were leaving. All right. Now this name, this person's name is interesting. It seems familiar to me right here. This person right here, J Rod speaks. I think this is a YouTuber. I'm not sure. You might know the car was a 2017 Honda Sonata. The two people in that car were EB and SC junior, which I have been saying since December, but no one will listen to me. Brent is alive and well. If you look hard enough, you will find out where he is. He left a clue before he fled for safety. Okay. Put a pin in that. Put a big old pin. The weird science is about the trans piece of this that everyone continues to ignore, pretend, and deny is not there and does not exist, but jokes are on them. Quite a few people in this mess are trans, and it has everything to do with all of this. Why do you think no one knows the truth about Hannah? Hannah's own biological sister has not been. Has not been. Told the truth. I can't even bring myself to tell her. Oh, sorry. Here we go. I can't even bring myself to tell her, but I'm not going. 
but I'm going to have to at some point. Now, who's this talking? You're about to see the man you just heard from. Ethan and Zana were not lovers. They were best friends and soulmates, but they never actually dated each other. Ethan was dating Hudson up until Hudson was murdered. The Republican card, the Republican card is Hannah. The hell does that mean? We'll see if we can find out. Find out who is saying these things. Claire's father, hardcore conservative Republican Mormon who I am not afraid of whatsoever. Leo's destroyed the original flash drive that Bethany had given them when she turns state's witness and got put into WITSCC. But jokes are on them because I know who has a second flash drive and that is in, well, shut the hell up about it. Then. And that it is keeping and who's keeping it safekeeping. We have the receipts which prove the original drive was destroyed. What the hell are we talking about a drive now? The Republican National Convention. What the hell? We just went to funky town at y'all. Who the hell's talking? Is this Justin? Is that you, Justin? Damn it. Damn it. Is that you? The truth about people being hidden in plain sight in Moscow will see the light of day. There are people alive and well in Moscow who are not supposed to be. People have already tried to blackmail me into silence, and I played their game for a hot minute. Now I refuse to be silent, damn it. I will not shut up until the truth sees the light of day. I am tired of YouTubers lying and gaslighting literally everyone in. That's the end of that. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. My Lord. Order to hide truth. And protect the real guilty parties, all seven of them, including Greeks. Greeks who brought the K-Bar knife from Sigma Chi or S Sigma Chi. Damn it. Damn it. To the 1122 King residence. There are two Sigmas who are guilty of this crime. One of them, Sigma, is being protected by Mummy Dearest, who is in bed with Franklin Lee, Dan Essie, Scott per Perky, and Scott Green, the president of... To be continued. The UI. Again, why am I reading this? I'm putting a pin in it. We're going to look at it come to trial. And maybe somebody, somebody, when all this evidence come out, you stop listening to these assholes. All right. What happens? What happens? There was evidence. I'm talking about Justin. I show those videos of him talking before. Bethany Funkel was born a female. All right. Funkel Funk. She's born a female. There's proof of that. They're like, hey, what are you talking about, dude? And what gives you the right to be the one that outs this person instead of them doing it themselves if they want to? Who elected you, the one in charge of that? And there's a big deal about it. I have copies of the original videos. If anybody wants to see it, just let me know. Email me, midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. But Justin went back on YouTube apologizing, saying that everything wasn't true. Please don't sue me. 
And Justin's back, mixing with this one YouTube community. And, you know, we're some solid Fruit Loops here. Let me look in the chat room. Are we solid Fruit Loops? I'm asking you a question. I need to know if you're with me or you're against me. Are we solid Fruit Loops? Where are we at? Because, I mean, there's softer Fruit Loops. I think that helicopter mom, Kim, was debunked today, too. These people are N-U-T-T. Damn it. I was clicking on one to hit another. N-U-T-T-Z. Nuts. Fruit Loops with nuts. I think you just invented something that might be delicious, actually. Fruity nut, nut Cheerios. Smoking in the Illuminati room. What happens when the real evidence comes out? It's like, what the hell were you talking about? Oh, yeah, you know, I was, I'm, I'm cool now. It's just something I thought then. You know, when did somebody grab the pitchforks and the blowtorches? No, well, pitchforks and uh, torches and run these people off saying, get the hell, f- 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 the hell are you doing? So we do here. I mean, I, I don't do that, but I pin it on the wall and you guys can look at it. I counted a dozen other men in the picture as well. It wasn't a sea of women. That's right, Chris. And then I saw two or three men and I saw one in a white suit. How the hell do you miss that? I think... I think uh, Banfield is being a dick, but again, I thought it was humorous. She's been an entertainer. I got to know you should, should pop on discord more often message me. Hey everybody, I do have a message for you. I'm going to continue. I got more, more of these messages and they get darker and, and you'll see who's doing it. I've got that coming up. I want to tell you, I'm opening up the discord for everybody. All right. You no longer have to be a member of midnight radio to be on the discord. If you want to be on the discord, I'm going to let you in the discord. All right. I'm opening it up. Midnight Radio's Discord to everybody. You go look in the show notes after the show, maybe tomorrow morning, pop on here and relook at it. You can join Discord and you can we can talk about this stuff behind the scenes. And the evidence that I show on the show, I get it from our Discord and I give it to them first. So if you want this information, you know, you can join our Discord. Again, the Discord is opening up for everybody, not just members. I do have exclusive stuff for members coming up. But the Discord is not going to be one of those things any longer. Let me continue with this. And I'm telling you, it gets worse. Discord open to all. See, what was the last thing I said? The president of you of the eye. This stuff's making me hyperventilate. And it's not, it's about, it's getting better right now. All right. The president of the University of Idaho, right? Huh? There are people hiding out in the middle of the Californian desert who are not supposed to be hiding out there. There is much to discern there. Travel is due to the very certain fact this trial will not be held in the state of Idaho. I can't elaborate further at this time. I don't know about you guys. I personally have a problem with people making themselves of importance. Uh, guys, I'm not important. Like I said, this show is not about Gerald Smimmons. This show is a conversation with you. It's about the things that we think, the things that bother us as a group, bother us together. And I don't, if you guys think like this, think, think like this. If you guys think like this, I don't got a problem with you. Just don't bring it over here. No, that's not what I'm saying. If you think like this, 
I don't have a problem. I want to talk to you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm trying to understand why you think like this. And if you're right, hell, you can have another believer. I'll believe along with you, but you got to show me logic. I'm completely open to talk. People are trying to get to me to terminate me, but keep failing in a very spectacular, hilarious fashion. But I'm looking at the way these things are written here. And I'm seeing somebody who wants to make themselves the center of attention through a a quadruple murder. This isn't about anybody here on YouTube. It's about this annoying the hell out of us, but don't make yourself inject yourself into the problem, uh, into the action or rather I'm going to start reading this. People keep trying to get me to terminate me, but keep failing in a very spectacularly hilarious fashion. I am entirely untouchable due to the amount of protection watching over me. I have two partners behind the scenes with whom I've been working to make the actual full and complete truth. See the light of day and the real perps go down for this. The, uh, The prosecution does not have a... And there's a fact, this could be true. You know, I've been involved in situations and seen things, done investigations, check out my documentaries on my video section. I research shit. I do videos. I do video. I'm a video maker on YouTube. That's what I'm talking about. I have some uh, journalistic documentaries up there. But you don't go in here saying, I know something. (laughs) I know something you don't. That is not what you do as someone who actually knows something. They know, and Taylor knows, they do not have a case. The motion to dismiss is already written. The DNA of the prosecution has and are withholding does not belong to Brian. If the DNA of the prosecution has belonged to Brian, they would have had to hand it over by now, which they did. Uh, when, when did they do that? Today? Yesterday? They No, two days ago. They're like, yes, it is Brian's. It is against court rules to keep DNA belonging to the defendant from the defendant. The only time the prosecution can withhold DNA evidence is when. And this is the next one I got. Which means Brian has already been exonerated multiple times over. He did not do this crime. The testimony you have questions about will be coming from a last-minute top-secret surprise witness who will materialize on 12-2 at trial because trial will be starting on 12-2. Everything up until right now has been pure theater. Pure theater, all of it. There are two top-secret surprises. It's so surprising and so top-secret they're not even going to show it on T2. Witnesses no one knows about. Their names have been redacted from all court documents. This has always been one giant chess game between the prosecution and the defense, except the defense has been three moves ahead the entire time and are about to come out on top as the victors. There is no victors to this. There's four dead kids. If Ryan does not get convicted, I think he's a dead man walking. He can't win, even if he's innocent. Even if they find him innocent, that's my opinion, and unfortunately, 
That's what I think. All right. Brent worked all night IT for University of Idaho until it went down at about 6.30 a.m. This is not true. Brent Kopaka, Darren, Darren Duncan, and Brian Kohlberger, Kohlberger were all at Brent Kopaka's apartment in Pullman the entire night, and Taylor has the GPS data from all three of their vehicles proving this to be true. Follow me here. Proving it. Apparently didn't keep the records once they were done. There are many markers and maybe they didn't test enough. I don't know what the hell that is. All right. Now check this out. Um, there's a bunch of different things like this showing what are the... And I, I think that, that this was put up here to prove that this was... Um, some trans involvement in the story. So again, I'm, I'm going to put the different ones up here and I think they're just a bunch of friends messing around and I actually thought it was kind of funny, but crack cocaine in behind the dumpster behind the rallies dumpster. All right. So that proves Bethany was selling drugs, right? Right. Right. Or how about this? This this is one of my favorites. Bethany Funk pays Anna Kernodal for butt implants. It's friends, you know, putting funny things on there. I think I'll do that next time I tip one of our DJs. And here's one. Uh, McKenna Berkman to Bethley Funkel. Your big boobs. Or. Claire paid Bethany Funk for big peen. Oh, my. JLR, here you go again. Here you go again in case the other goes MIA. Brian Kohlberger was not in the house. Brian was working as an informant for the task force to bust the drug ring that Brent Kopaka, Demetrius R., Emma, that was her name, Emma B. Damn it. Emma B. Emma. Emma B, everybody. Hello, Emma. How you doing? Emma B, everybody. Say hello. I delivered her pizza earlier today. Got a picture over there. There you go. MB Quinn K and even DM were running from the house. There were allegedly six suspects. Brent Kopaka dead. I A N I N X Sill team guy. He posted on SM and is a killer. Allegedly a con or two. Let's see what's next. Clipped us off there. I don't know. That's what I got. And oh, yeah, that's right. Happy birthday. This is by J.W. Papsworth. Hi, Rodriguez. Did you know that Albert Einstein... What the hell is this? Did you know that Albert Einstein told Doug Wilson's family, F you during World War II? Albert was offended a job, was offered a job at Christ Church in Oxford, England, during the time when Nazi Germany was rising to power. 
essentially laughed in their faces, told them to get lost, decided to put in the USA. In a speech Einstein gave on racism in America and at Princeton University said, I do not intend to be quiet about it. Join me while I count down the top 40 hits. Here, with Casey Kasem on the Top 40 Countdown. And I got two more. Please follow me. I don't know about Hudson for sure, but like you have an idea. Maddie and Hannah were roomies before. Maddie lived in the house on King. I don't think Hannah was associated with the Greek group. I don't know about Kaylee, but I do think it's odd she would go so far away from Maddie since they were so close and Maddie was about to graduate too. But nobody ever talks about what Maddie planned to do after graduation. I don't go to university. I just live in Moscow, but I've been here for almost 15 years and I lived at 601 Taylor. So I have been around that whole area and Sigma Chi was crazy. They had a lot of parties and the guys there were really wild, but I never felt nervous when I lived there, though there were people around all the time, but nothing bad ever happened. No fights or anything like that. I think that was the last one. Let me see. Nope, I got one more by by somebody. Jake. Kaylee Gonsalves joined Extreme in 2022 as an intern on the U.S. commercial team. As someone new to the IT technology world, Kaylee approached the role with an insatiable eagerness to learn, tenacity to always ask for more responsibility, and so much potential with an incredibly bright future. Our thoughts are with Kaylee's family. From everyone at Extreme, please help contribute what you can through the GoFundMe that will go directly to Kaylee's family. All right, that was a part of what I was sent. All right, there you go. Now I gotta exit out of some of these. Where am I at here? Okay, I'm gonna exit out some of these and I got, we're about to start talking. How long we've been alive now, about an hour. The next two are dedicated to other true crime stories, if that's all you wanted to hear, is Idaho 4. It's all for it now. Let's see. Going to the comments section, Emma Bailey. Emma, Emma, Emma. Emma Bailey was connected to a young man who died of overdose fentanyl he purchased from her and her BF Demetrius. Yes. I did a show about it. I think that was the last show, actually. All right. Emma Bailey. Who's Emma Bailey? Look at our last show. And that's who who they're saying Emma Bailey is. All right, I got to delete through some of the stuff. N5, NFO, N3, N2, and I'm keeping my picture of Emma. Bailey. All right, here we go. All right, some of the stories and some things we're going to go over is very disturbing. Night, give you damn nightmares disturbing. This is what's really going on right now. I'll tell you what, I'm disturbed. Um, all the towns beside me in Texas are getting blown away by tornadoes. I'm under a 
tornado watch now and every other day there's tornadoes wiping out these little sounds beside me so at any time you know it could be the end of my life i've, I've delivered my last pizza you never know all right let me share you let me share some of this with you All right. This is in Idaho. Also, it's a different story, but it just happened in Idaho and I thought it is very, very, very odd. Idaho man breaks into neighbor's home, kills four. Tonight, a 31 year old man, he appeared in court Tuesday morning and was charged with the murders of four of his neighbors. This is from June 20th. George on Kalar sounds like a damn Klingon was also charged with one count of burglary. They like to do that in Idaho. He was not given bond. The show shown County coroner's office identified the victim as Kenneth guard P 65 Kenneth P 41 Devin Smith and Aiken Smith 16. Uh, Devin Smith was 18. The manner and cause of death was homicide by gunshot, the Idaho State Police said. Investigators believe the incident happened after a dispute between neighbors occurred, but provided no information about the dispute. The Shoshone County Sheriff's Office responded to the multi-home building at 7.30 p.m. Sunday and found the four victims were dead. This is a tragic situation that will affect the Kellogg community. Detectives continue to establish a timeline and what led to the shooting. That's what the Lieutenant Berger said. As this case will go through the judicial process, we are ensuring every angle is covered with a thorough investigation. Earlier, Mountain Valley of Cassadia, a nursing home and rehabilitation center just steps away from the house, steps away from the scene, said that one of the victims was an employee there. On her Facebook page, Kindergard P identified herself as a cook at the facility. All right, there's that, continuing on. All right, um, this is very, this next story is very disturbing to me. And this is a, a woman, did you guys hear about this? She said that she comes up to this neighborhood and sees a little four-year-old on his bicycle, starts touching on the little boy and says that she's a CPS worker Where's your parents? Starts asking him questions. This is Cuckoo. I got the video footage right here. Tell me what you think. A woman accused of trying to lure a little boy while impersonating a child protective services worker is behind bars. The whole thing caught on camera. I'm Anjanette Levy, and thanks for joining us here on Law and Crime. 44-year-old Lisa Necrelli spent the night in jail after... I just want to play the video for you. And then after, after I play what actually happened, I'm going to tell you what she said, what she had to say for her damn self. Saturday afternoon, walking up to a little boy who was sitting on his bike. You can see Nacrelli stop and look around. Then she starts talking to the boy. It's difficult to make out exactly what is being said between the two. Nacrelli puts her hand on the boy's back and rubs his back as she talks with him. More than a minute into the interaction, she runs her hands through the boy's hair. 
At one point in the video, the boy appears to say something about his mom and walks toward the house. Nicrelli stands staring at that house until the boy comes outside. Eventually, Nicrelli walks into the home. A handwritten statement by Nicrelli said, I had been drinking since I woke up that morning. All right. So this lady, Lisa Nicrelli, how old are you? I don't know. I want to know how old she is. But she said, I'd been drinking since I woke up that morning. I walked to Kroger to get more beer on the walk home. I saw a young child that I felt wasn't being supervised. He's right out there on the front of his house in a bike. So an attempt to scare the the parents, I pretended to be from CPS. This is nuts. This is knocking futz. Guys, I'm playing this to you because I want you to know, watch your children. Things are not safe out there. But I'll tell you what, there's things not safe in the home. I told you this before, and we're going to go through it tonight. And we're talking about murder-suicides are up like crazy. We'll talk about that coming up after this. Morning. I walked to get more beer. On the walk home, I saw a young child. They let her into the house. That I felt wasn't being supervised. So in an attempt to scare the parents, I pretended to be from CPS. The four-year-old boy's father gave a statement to police in which he said Nicrelli made his son uncomfortable, so he asked to get his mom. The father told police Nicrelli claimed she was checking the home as part of a CPS call. Police took Nicrelli into custody on... Who the hell does something like that for kicks? Creepy. All right, people who are still talking about... People are still talking about... Idaho. Did I say Ohio? Everyone in, on the free Kohlberger side is are whining that his rights are being violated and the prosecution is concealing exculpatory evidence. It's the defense is refusing to provide discovery. All right. So people in the chat room are still talking about that. All right. So right now we're going to talk about a triple, triple murder tragedy that happened in Ohio. And I have the 911 call right here. We're going to go over the 911 call. We're going to go over the arresting video. And then I'm going to tell you the whole story right now. Can you tell how many people have been shot? I think two children. Okay. All right. I need, what was that scene? Uh, there's a girl uh, running down the street. Thirty-two-year-old Chad Dorman admitted to the slangs and will be in court next week for his preliminary hearing. Prosecutors say the Dorman planned out the execution-style murders of his three, four, and seven-year-old sons. All right, we're going to go into the actual video of him being arrested right now, and we're going to go over the full story of what he did. And you heard the nine-one-one call. You heard that 
the daughter, the stepdaughter in this case, was saying that her family is being murdered by her father. So this is what the police officers responding to the scene knew. And I want to tell you right now, you'll see how they act towards him. And uh, that is why. Where's he at? Uh, shooter's the porch. Get him right, yeah. here, right here. You got him on the porch. Please right? ask not to ask, please. We've been told. Use some of your hands now. Stand up and walk towards us. Stand up now. Walk towards us. Stand up with your hands up. Stand up now. His name is Chad Dorman. Chad Dorman. I know, but we can't. Your first aid, and he's not complying. You know, he's a shooter. Shoot him. You got to find cover first. We ain't no good if we ain't safe or so. Hey, hey, no. We need to come from this side where we can see them. Don't take cover behind her. Hi, my name is Dennis, oh, and this hell? is my game, Teardown. Can we see him. We're going to approach from this side. We got cover. Right here. Six cover, 29 and 63 attack us. Show us your Show fucking your hands, hands now! Stand up! Stand up! Stand up! Stand up now! Stand up! Stand the fuck up! Get your hands out of here. Send the air. Get the EMS over here. Well, I, I did try to get a split, but I don't need drugs now. I'm sober. I'm not trying to fight you. 63. Get your butt inside. Gallon, get your butt inside. We're on primary. Now. 29, we got three. Main. Gallon. 63, we're 21. Not Have EMS respond over here. No, I think this black square there is the daughter that went to call 911. And uh, I don't know what her name is. I heard that the guy on the floor, you know, the one that's being arrested, Chad, is he telling her to get her butt inside? Or is he talking to the dog? I'm not sure. Probably 34, just start a mask, pass, do respond. 63, do you want him to respond to the Laurel Lindale address? Where exactly do you need him? We're right in the front yard. What are you doing, man? Hey, pretty cocky, all this. 
Can I roll over? I ain't gonna hurt you. I ain't gonna. I ain't gonna hurt nobody. You got anything on you? No, I ain't got nothing, man. Phone. That's it. I'm mad. I ain't, I ain't nothing. Just make sure that dog don't come out. I don't think he'll bite you. Just don't reach for him and try to grab him and pet him. Right. He won't bite you. What's going on, man? Nothing. Uh, can I stand up? It's kind of uncomfortable. I'm gonna get I ain't you gonna here do nothing. I ain't running away. You can do whatever you want. I'm gonna say I don't give a damn about your comfort. Here, you the only one else inside the house. What? You the only one else inside yeah, the house? Yeah, yeah. Sit down right uh, here. My my daughter, she ran over to the fire department. Sit down. Uh, it's my stepdaughter. Put him in the cage. That's a little, that's a little, that's a little. They're all being advised to come. They've been Shut up, dude. Yeah, the right to main side was fucking easy. Yes, trying to take the neighbors down now. This is cop number two's body cam. In the air. All right, there it is, guys. Very disturbing. Let's talk about the story right now. So, three young boys were shot, killed in Claremont County. 
This happened in Ohio. Father charged with the murder. He's arrested and charged with aggravated murder. It all started around 4 p.m. Police responded to a report of the shooting. Deputies on the scene found four people shot outside a home. The first crews on the scene attempted life-saving measures on the three young boys, but were unsuccessful. They did that with him on the front porch, like you just saw, and the boys were laying on the side, and that is what was blacked out. Sheriff's office said all three gunshot victims died from their injuries while at the scene. All three were brothers, ages seven, four, and three. The boys then also created a GoFundMe to help her sister pay for the funeral expenses here. Now, the mother, she was shot in the hand, and she was taken to the hospital. She was taken to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center for treatment. The sheriff met her at the hospital to, to let her know that her three sons were deceased. The boy's older sister, Alexis, escaped the violence. Uh, when deputies got to the scene, they came in contact with a man later identified as the boy's father, Chad Duerman, 32. Sitting on a step outside the residence, Duerman was taken into custody at the scene and brought to the Claremont County Sheriff's Office to be interviewed by detectives. Later that night, Duerman was charged with three counts of aggravated murder, all unclassified felonies. He was transported to Claremont County Jail. Duerman appeared in court Friday wearing a bulletproof vest and flanked by about half a dozen deputies. Duerman's defense asked for only a $75,000 bond, saying he had a job, co-signers, and that he was married. Although it appears the woman he is married to is the victim in the crime. Prosecutors asked for a $20 million bond, the highest bond they had ever asked a judge for in Claremont County. Judge granted the request. David Gass, the chief prosecutor in Claremont County, spoke during the hearing. This is what he said. The trauma that this man has inflicted on his family, community, and law enforcement, first responders, and all the rest of us is unspeakable. There's been a full admission in this case. The case is still new. We're still discovering facts. But the evil horror of what we know is impossible to process. In an act of incomprehensible cruelty, the father that stands before you lined his three young boys and executed them in his own home with a rifle. In an act of desperation, the mother at some point grabbed the gun the father was wielding in an attempt to protect them. Gas said one of the boys was able to flee, but said Duerman hunted that boy down, brought him back to the property, and executed him in front of witnesses. One of the most monstrous, craven, cowardly acts that will ever be our misfortune of seeing, Gas said. Gas also said in court that Duerman planned out the events. I've been a lawyer for 35 years. This is by far the most sickening, horrifying crime I have seen. I can only imagine the terror these little boys must have felt and experienced. Claremont County prosecutor said this following the hearing. He said that the mother witnessed everything. The mother saw this. You can imagine the immense trauma and terror she experienced and what we will do. And we will do the utmost that this defendant never sees the light of day again. He said his office is reviewing all possible charges. Emergency dispatch calls describe the terrifying moments the shots ring out. The Claremont County Communication Center received initial 911 call from a woman who is screaming that her babies have been shot. 
A second 911 call was made to the communication center from a passerby who reported that a female juvenile was seen running down the road stating that her father was killing everyone. It's just a bad situation. Nothing like that ever happens in this area. Just a quiet country, really nice area. So to hear this is terrible, neighbor Dan Thomas said. We're about to hear from Dan. I'm shocked, to be honest with you. We moved here six years ago. The place is great, and New Richmond's coming up. You just hate to see anything like this anywhere. Thomas said the first person to approach him was the sheriff who asked him if he had heard anything happening. I was sitting in the garage, and all of a sudden, they hear boom, boom, and like five more. And I was like, that's seven shots. Another neighbor lives nearby. I said, I'm shaking. It was a lot. It was bad. All right. We have uh, interviews with uh, neighbors right now. It was an asshole. Richard Kincannon tells me Chad Dorman had a temper. He told me he witnessed him often treating his wife and kids poorly. He felt like he he was just angry, generally speaking. He was every day. Heard him. There wasn't a day he didn't yell at his wife and kids out there. What would he yell? All kinds of shit. He was just angry, yelling at her all the time, treating her like. Police arrested Dorman Thursday after he allegedly shot his wife in the hand, then systematically killed each of his young sons. Their dead bodies laid in the yard. So when you look at that house now, what do you see? You want to the Yeah, I do. I still see the babies sitting in the yard, laying in the yard. The one was right there by the tree, right by the road, not even... 20 feet from the road right there is where that dude laid him. Laid one up there right beside that silver truck to the left of the tire about five foot. That's all I see every time I come out here. That's why I try to look at that, focus on that. A tent now covers a memorial of candles, cars, and cuddle toys. Ken Cannon tells me he's struggled to eat or sleep since the murders. He watched Chad Dorman cry at his arraignment and had no compassion for him whatsoever. He knew what he was doing. He planned it. It was premeditated. He shouldn't have a bomb. He should never see daylight again, ever in his life. I've heard it said before that guns don't kill people. Assholes kill people. I'm starting to believe that. I got this other story coming up right now. Harmony Montgomery's father beat girl to death. Moved her body several times. This was going on right now, and this is out of Boston. Court filings show Adam Montgomery beat his daughter Harmony, moved her body to several locations, and then used a rented U-Haul to dispose of it. Gruesome new details about the death of five-year-old Harmony Montgomery. Her father, Adam Montgomery, accused of putting the little girl's body inside a cooler in a bag like this and even in the ceiling above this bedroom at a shelter. Court filings include a horrifying account from Kayla Montgomery, Adam's estranged wife. She says in 2019, Adam hit Harmony repeatedly in the face and head with a closed fist over several minutes because the little girl was having bathroom accidents in the car they were living in. Kayla says Adam said, I think I really hurt her this time. I think I did something. 
Nobody helped Harmony. Hours later, Kayla says she and Adam discovered that Harmony was not breathing and was deceased. Kayla says Adam put Harmony's body in a duffel bag in the trunk, but also would leave it out in the snow to stop decomposition from happening. He's also accused of moving the body to a freezer at the restaurant where he worked and a hotel mini fridge. In March of 2020, the filing says Adam rented a U-Haul and took a trip to dispose of Harmony's remains. Her body has never been found. The van had three toll violations on the Tobin Bridge early that morning. She deserves to be brought home um, and laid to rest. Manchester police hoping someone will speak up so Harmony's remains can be found. I hope is that by this being released, Maybe it jogs some memories. Maybe it causes people to rethink maybe some information that they know. She has said she doesn't know exactly where Harmony's body is located right now. Adam Montgomery is facing second degree murder. We are live here in Manchester, New Hampshire, Charmitz Kitty, WCVB News Center 5. All right. This is coming out of Florida, not a Florida man, but a Florida woman. Florida teen to be exact. A teenager pleaded guilty to being the mastermind behind a deadly robbery more than two years ago. Madison Nagal and her brother were both involved in the crime and are serving prison sentences. But it turns out a mistake was made on Madison's sentence and prosecutors want to fix it. Fox 13's Gloria Gomez shows us what the judge decided to do about it. Madison Nagal was serving the wrong sentence in prison and it was time to fix it. But then another legal hurdle came up. There is nothing this court can do, unfortunately, either. Turns out McGall had filed an appeal on her sentence. And because it was still pending, the judge's hands are tied. It is currently still pending an appeal. I, I have been told that the defendant is going to voluntarily dismiss that appeal. But Madison was just 15 years old when she was arrested and charged with plotting an armed robbery with her brother. Henry McGall, that ended in murder. Prosecutors say Madison plotted the whole thing. She had the wherewithal at 15 years old to set up a robbery. That ended in the shooting death of Jesse Silver. She knew it was a setup. She knew her brother was coming with a gun. She actually reached into the car and grabbed the drugs during the course of the robbery. Judge, this is the actions of an adult, whether she's 15 or not. She did a horrible crime. And Jesse Silver is dead today as a result of that crime. The siblings' cases ended in plea deals. He should do the time. Okay, and he did it maliciously. Henry McGall was sentenced to 25 years uh, in prison. I'm sorry. Under Madison's agreement, she was sentenced to five years in prison, followed by 10 years of probation to run consecutively for a total sentence of 15 years for her crime. However, that's not what happened. Madison was serving her prison and probation sentence at the same time, nearly cutting her sentence in half. The error was caught, and prosecutors wanted the illegal sentence corrected. With the appeal still pending, both but sides. But that will have to wait for another day. McGall will stay in the county jail in Tampa until it does. Gloria Gomez, Fox 13 News. Like I said, things are getting bad. Things are getting bad everywhere. There's a lot of murder-suicides, and it's happening. It's going to happen more, I think. Uh, evidence of the economy, the worldwide economy, taking a big hit, but it's not being reported on. For whatever reason that is, I don't know. I'm not into conspiracy theories, but just, you know, the hiding of plain everyday facts. Here's one right here. 
Man, this happened in a place I used to be before. San Diego Sheriff's Department. This is next to DJ Electra. San Diego Sheriff's Department investigating the deaths of two people found in their home Thursday morning by their teenage daughter. And uh, this, this happened in El Cajon, if you have ever been there. Man, I've, I think I've seen this place before. Said it received a call. The sheriff's department said they received a call from a 14-year-old girl at about 9.30 a.m. When deputies arrived at the El Cajon mobile home, they found a man and a woman dead in their bedroom, both with trauma to their upper torsos and heads. Deputies said the cause of death has not yet been confirmed. I'm willing to think it's from the trauma to their upper torsos and heads, but who did it? Homicide detectives overseeing the case said they didn't believe there was any threat to the community. Usually say that if they think it was a hit. Let me play this video for you right now. We're going to begin tonight with a suspicious death case in El Cajon, which has many unanswered questions tonight, along with a neighborhood shocked and saddened. An El Cajon couple was found dead this morning with several children inside the home. In fact, San Diego County Sheriff's investigators say the couple was found by their oldest daughter, who is just 14 years old. They have two other younger children as well. NBC7's Dave Summers spoke with neighbors and has more tonight on the investigation. A heavy silence hangs over the Via Cajon mobile home estates as sheriff's detectives go about their painstaking tasks. I just saw the, the, the first cop car coming by my house really, really fast. Unusual, Anna Marie Almaguer tells us. Police never come here, she said. Investigators asked if she had heard anything around midnight. Almaguer did not. We're in shock. We're in shock. We never expected this because we saw them just yesterday. Four doors down at the mobile home with the for sale sign on the front, a husband and wife in their 40s, and parents of three children, two of them under 10 years old, are dead. I'm very shooken up, actually. I still feel like my legs are kind of wobbly. Yolanda Nichols is a close family friend. Her granddaughter and the couple's 14-year-old daughter just graduated eighth grade at Harriet Tubman Charter School last Friday. I felt like I was their grandma, too. I mean, I tried to be, and I'm just very concerned. I'm I just want to know they're okay. Detectives say both husband and wife suffered head trauma. Their oldest daughter found them dead around 945 Thursday morning and called 911. I'm just trying to see what what could she possibly, you know, went through when that happened. We spoke with neighbors as far away as five houses and as close as next door, and they all tell the same story. They heard no loud noises, no fighting, no gunshots. So the mystery of how they died is up to the corner. Why they died is just as much a riddle. Al McGuire says they were a close-knit family that went everywhere together. She saw them just yesterday. Why would they say they're, they're not worried about the public? The public shouldn't be worried. Why? They were nice people. Very, very nice people. Nichols says everything appeared normal at the Friday graduation. The whole family was there. Like a happy couple, happy they were, I, they looked excited because they're moving, well, they're moving out of state, selling their home. They seemed very happy. On the outside, everything appeared in order. The children seemed to neighbors carefree, like most kids. The kids were always great, always saying hi, always playing in the park. They were, had no fear. 
What becomes of them now is the most important questions in this investigation to family and friends. In El Cajon, Dave Summers, NBC7. Thank you, Dave. We're moving on now. All right. Now, this one is an interesting case. It's a cold case solved after 51 years in 1971, a boy went missing. Teenager actually went camping with his friends. I'm going to play some of this. Play it at double speed. I don't like the way they did this, so I'm going to fast forward it to here to get the information. This is his sister. All right. Yeah, I know I'm going double speed and it's hard to hear, but here's what happened. They they went camping. All right. This is in 1971. They were in a cabin and the cabin that they were staying in burned. The, the fire department got there and they found the remains of two people and the third one they couldn't find. So uh, this week, apparently, they brought the body up and they looked at it again and they said, yes. In all these charred remains, we can see that there were actually three people here. So, he he died in the fire also. It's not saying how the fire started or if there's foul, foul play, but they found the body. And they found it there burned. I don't know if it was incompetence before that or a lack of, lack of, um, uh, what do you call it? technology? Check this out. This, like I said, a, a lot of murder suicides. This is a murder suicide, but everybody survived. I'll always be a family man. Louisiana pastor allegedly shoots wife in front of young children. He shoots himself. His name was Danny Purnell, junior 25, identified as the lead pastor of Bright Morning Star Missionary Baptist Church in Pineville. He reportedly shot his wife, Gabby Purnell, 27. This is a young couple in front of their young child before turning the gun on himself. The incident happened at a Hampton Inn on yesterday, actually, June 22nd. He might not be a perfect man, but I'll always be a family man, he posted on Facebook. uh, ABC 16 reported this, and they reported that it happened at 3.30 p.m. Investigators have not yet proved Provided updates on the condition of Parnell and his wife, but they were both alive at the time of this report. They were taking the University of Mississippi Medical Center while their three children were handed over to CPS. This is a developing story, and they say they're going to update as they get it, and I will also update you once I hear more about it. Hmm, this one, um, I don't know if I want to show you. I'm, I'm going to skip this one, guys. All right, this one is real quick, man. This is a 33-year-old man falls 4,000 feet to his death from the Grand Canyon Skywalk. I've got some new info on this I want to share with you, some breaking info. 
Skywalk earlier this week. The Skywalk consists of a glass bridge that extends dozens of feet over the rim of the canyon. The technical rope rescue team from the Mojave County Sheriff's Office Search and Rescue did respond to the Skywalk after reports that someone went over the edge. The cause of that man's fall is still not known. The Skywalk has seen more than 10 million visitors since 2007. All right. Let's see. Hold on. All right. Rewinding here. We got somebody in the chat room saying document drop, document drop. Can't talk about anything but official documents. Have been dropped. Document drop. Bueller, Bueller, new doc dropped by Ann Taylor 15 minutes ago. No victim DNA found anywhere. Car park, car, apartment, parents' house, office. All right, guys. So supposedly there was a document drop. I'm going to do a quick check for it. If you guys could check for it and send it to me, we'll go over it right now. Breaking live on the show right now. So Ann Taylor document drop. All right. I've got nothing. Let me see Ann Taylor. I'm sure it's here somewhere though. Nope, no, 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 no. All right, so I'm gonna continue to go here. One of you guys let me know if you get it is a fake document question. All right. So one of you that are in Discord, go ahead and um, see if you can find that. Laura, Laura, is Laura here? If she's good with documents. Or if there's a new document dropped by Ann Taylor 15 minutes ago, send it to me in Discord and we're going to go over it. Wow. You're fast. Hello. 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 So I'm talking to you. <laughs> Laura. Hi. I'm standing. I'm standing. All right. So there was some documents dropped. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm putting them in. I'm sending them to you now. Wow. They're in the drive. Oh, crap. No. All right, let me try to find the drive. All right, let me get, hold on. <laughs> I was sending them as you were talking. Were you really? <laughs> yeah. Right. I've, I've only uh, two more to send. All right, I'm pulling up the drive. There's quite a big drop. Oh, quite short. The, the new drive that I set up. Oh, you you set up a new one. Yeah, because I'd sent some earlier into it. It's called Jerry. Okay, <laughs> let me look. I'm looking under the old drive. So for those of you that are just oh, tuning, no. in, tuning in or those of you that are following, 
there were some new documents dropped by Ann Taylor. So we're going to go over it now. Everybody's saying, what does it say? We're trying, I'm trying to get them up, I'm trying to find them. I, I don't have yeah, the link. six. I don't have a link to the drive. Send me a link. Oh, wait, you sent to my email. Oh, yeah. It's in our, in our Google Drive. Yeah, you sent, let me check my email. I've added you to it. Right. And there it is. There it is. Okay. There it is. There Yay! it is. Okay. Is this everything? Oh, no. I have so missed you, Jerry. I know. I've been gone for a little while. You've freaking gone for ages. I was having withdrawal symptoms. It's two weeks. Yeah, I know. I think it was two weeks. Well, it was near enough, 11 days. Like, 11 days from my last spoke to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not that I was counting. That's right. <laughs> Have you got them? Yeah, so these are the ones I start with the newest one. Okay, I'm trying to find a date on here so I can verify this is the new one. And the date is 23rd. Yeah, they literally just dropped the 23rd. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and hang up here and I'm going to go over them on the show. Right, okay. All right, thank you, Laura. No problem, bye. Bye. All right, here we are, guys. Why I'm 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 gonna I'm 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 gonna bring up Do I hear thunder? I hear somebody walking. I don't know. All right, so we're gonna go over this new these new documents that are just now dropped by Ann Taylor. As soon as I pull them up. Uh, hold on guys. Ah, oh, God, I got a storm that just hit me. Son of a gun. I thought I heard something. I didn't know if it was. All right, Laura, I know you're watching. I'm going to send you request to view this. Under a different email account. I need, need access with that one before I can show it. All right, but when she sends me that, she just needs to click on it and give me access. I'm going to go over this one story before we go over more Idaho Forest stuff. Let's get blown away by a tornado again. They're trying to get me, guys. It's a conspiracy. Trying to keep a good... Holy Moses. Guys, I might go off the internet at any moment here. Here, did you give me access... <laughs> Did you give me access? I'm at least going to get kicked off the radio. Did you give me access yet, Laura? I sent you a request under a different email. As long as you don't hear, I'm here to help you. Yeah. I'm from the government. I'm here to help. That is not a joke. That's actually true. All right. I'm going to check right now. All right. Request sent. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Here we go. And boom, there we go. 
Okay, for those of you just tuning in now, we have the new documents dropped by Ann Taylor right freaking now as we're live on the show. So you're, it's breaking. It's breaking my heart. I'm about to get hit by a tornado live on Midnight Radio. Let's see what the lady wants. In the district court of the second judicial district of the state of Idaho. Come now, Brian C. Nothingburger, by and through his attorney, and Taylor, public defender, and hereby moves the court for an order shortening time for hearing the defendant's second motion to compel. Compile. C-O-M-P-E-L. I don't know what that means. And I know a lot of words. This is dated uh, 21st day of June, and I have others on the 23rd day of June. Oh, that's the first one. Shorten time. So, guys, if you're listening to me and you hear a click in my mic, that means I'm about to have a strike of lightning. I've heard one before and then lightning right outside of my house. So, yeah, this is the real stuff right now. Okay, I'm going back, going to the second one right here. All right, making sure that you guys see what I see. Do you see what I see? Do I have a storm shelter? No, I do not. But my house is made of brick. All right, what do we got? This is the same one again. Order to shorten time. It's granted too. What the hell's granted? It is hereby ordered that the defendant's motion to shorten time to hear the defendant's second motion to compel is granted is ordered by the judge. What the hell does that mean? Order to shorten time. That the defendant's motion to shorten time to hear the defendant's second motion to compel is granted. All right, here we go. We're going to find out what it means. And something was redacted. Again, if you're just tuning in, uh oh, I just heard a click. If you're just tuning in, I have a tornado right outside my house. And also, I got the new papers filed by Ann Taylor as of right now. The court is mindful. Let me make this bigger for you. The court is mindful that limited courtroom capacity and potential travel restrictions may interfere with the victims and the defendant's family ability to observe the court proceedings in this case. Therefore, in the event they are unable to or prefer not to attend the proceeding in person, the court finds it necessary to make the court proceedings av available via Zoom for the victims and the defendant's immediate family members under the following restrictions. It is hereby ordered the victims and defendants immediate family members may observe the court proceedings in person or via zoom the zoom info above shall not be disseminated to anyone other than the victims here's a meeting id in the passcode of course redacted for your unviewing pleasure to anyone other than the victims and defendants immediate family members that includes you any recording or live streaming of the proceeding is prohibited i'm not going to do it not going to do it i have standards you know what i'm saying not going to do it. Now get me. Somebody would do it. It wouldn't be me. All right. In the district court of the second judicial district, the state of Idaho, come now. Brian Kohlberger, 
Buying through his attorney, N.C. Taylor. This is the same thing we read before, continuing a lot of gibberish. I'm expecting a long, lengthy. I guess that's it. All right, here, here we go. All right, look at the dates. Ooh. We got an order. We got a ruling on the dissemination order. Let me look at the dates real quick. Holy succotash. Damn, this is a long one. Son of a gun. I'm thinking this is the old one. I need to see the date on this to know. When you go through all these paper, this paperwork all the time. And the date is this 23rd day of June. Son of a bitch. This is a long one, guys. All right, here we go. So this is a ruling on the gag order. This order addresses a motion to vacate the amended non-dissemination order filled by interveners, a coalition of 20 media outlets, including Midnight Radio, that will be collectively referred to as Associated Press. Hello, everybody. I'm back. It's good to see you here, although no people are looking at me right now. I hope this is working. My name is Gerald Smimmons. Part two of this. Okay. I'm probably going to, I'm not getting anybody on here. Uh, let me just smack you guys with one of these 30-minute uh, countdowners. Bye. Okay, we are back from the tornado that almost blew my sweet ass away. It almost blew my my um, sweet wild ass speculations into the next county. You see what I go through for you people? Do you see what I go through? I'd like to say hello to Backseat Gamer. Hello, she's the first person back. We've got four people watching right now. What happened? Forget about me. I'm fine. Although my my uh, SD card in my mixer has seen better days. I might have lost some audio on that one, but that's okay. Laura's back. Electra's back. Electra held it down during the tornado party. There's still a tornado advisory till 11 o'clock and a thunderstorm warning is 844 here. I can stay until 10 o'clock, but it is not over my immediate vicinity. So I'm all right. All right. So what do we got? We just got some... I don't know how many of you were listening to the lecture when she was live on the radio just now talking about the Idaho 4 
documents that just drop, which I just started reading before I got kicked off. And I'm going to start reading it again. Let's just go ahead and go into it. I'll start right where I dropped off. I was listening to Electra, and I was shocked, shocked for the Gonsalves family. And uh, we're talking about the dissemination order. The ruling came down as we were live. We started reading it. Hello, Boss Macca. Boss Macca. Haven't seen you in a while. Glad you could. Glad you could make it. For this tornado edition of Midnight Radio. Okay, I'm trying to find right here. All right, we're talking about this, these documents that just dropped from Idaho, courtesy of Ann Taylor. Actually, it's not Ann Taylor. This came from the judge uh, himself. Why? Because he's the one that ruled on this. The other one that dropped was about, I don't know, slowing something down, making it shorter for Brian. All right. This order addresses a motion to vacate the amended non-dissemination order filed by interveners, the coalition of 20 media outlets that will be collectively, including Midnight Radio, that will be collectively referred to as the Associated Press. The amended non-dissemination order does not restrict, it does not restrain, or in any other way, enjoin press from reporting on in public information. Well, hold on a second. Let me try something. Let me try something that might make it better here for me. For me alone. Uh, no, it does not. All right. Let me continue here. The amended non-dissemination order does not restrict, restrain, or in any other way enjoin the press from reporting on or publishing information they obtain through their own investigations or interviews. Again, it's not for the press, supposedly. Even bullshit. You can say bullshit, all right? Lies are covered under the First Amendment. They actually are. Disinformation is too, right? Is it? Is it not? We got. I got some really interesting footage about the alien UFO in Vegas, all right? So the fact that the government can lie, it's okay, but reporters can't. Actually, they can. The amended non-dissemination order is not a gag order on the media. Instead, the amended non-dissemination order restricts attorneys directly involved in the case who are representing a party, a witness, or a victim's family, and the agents for those attorneys, including law enforcement, for making certain statements about the case to the media or the public because membership in the bar is a privilege burdened with conditions. The U.S. Supreme Court has recognized that the speech of lawyers representing clients in pending cases may be regulated under a less demanding standard than the established for regulation of the press. Again, I'll say it again. And this is important to think about. The U.S. Supreme Court has recognized that the speech of lawyers representing clients in pending cases may be regulated under a less demanding standard.
As officers of the court, court personnel and attorneys have a fiduciary responsibility not to engage in public debate that will redound to the detriment of the the accused or that will obstruct the fair administration of justice. Where do you guys think this is going so far? All right. I'm seeing alibis from the part of the judge saying why he's going to, all right, shut down why this gag order, which I don't care what they want me to call it. I'm calling it a gag order. Freedom of the press gag or because it makes me want to puke. All right. They're hitting it with a hammer. They're going to make it hurt. The purpose of the amended non-dissemination order, which was stipulated to by the parties, is to protect defendant Brian C. Kohlberger's right to a fair trial by an impartial jury as guaranteed by the Sixth Amendment. But let me tell you what's real here, okay? It is not just about Brian Kohlberger, okay? And uh, nothing hit this more home to me today than I was looking at the judge for the Parkland shooter trial. Remember remember him? And the judge was going over that. I, I think I might bring that up after this because that judge is looking like a real asshole right now because of some of the things she said and some of the things she did during the trial specifically an exchange she had with one of the lead uh, in the defendant, the defendant's lead about her, her son and her children and the way they were speaking back and forth. And she ejected him from the courtroom, which was not in her power to be able to do, not for the reasons that she did it. All right. She looked like a real jerk. So if you don't go by a certain, by certain rules and what you're allowed to do, you look like an asshole from a court above you when they can remove you from the bench and a whole lot of other things. So it is better as a judge. You got a cushy job. It's not easy. All right. A lot of paperwork and other bull crap you got to deal with. And then, I mean, you're not dealing with the most nice people in the world. You got to deal with, you know, lawyers and criminals in a hot ass room all the time with these high ceilings. You know, they can't air condition that, right? You've been there in the jury pool. But you don't want to look like a jackass. So that is what this is about. The Associated Press's motion to vacate the amended non-dissemination order is denied. Capital D. The court has the authority to regulate the speech of attorneys participating in this case and the agents for those attorneys to ensure the poor little Brian Kohlberger is not denied his right to a fair trial by an impartial jury because of extrajudicial prejudicial statements. However, this court will issue a revised amended non-dissemination order that clarifies what cannot be discussed and what can be discussed. If you remember, that was an issue before. You know, they would not talk about anything uh, relating to anything and they were blaming it on the Kohlberger trial. But now they're not going to be able to do that. Supposedly, that's what this says. The revised amended non-dissemination order is limited to apply only to speech that is substantially likely to have a material prejudicial effect on the right to a fair trial. Two, applies equally to all attorneys participating in the case. Three is neutral as to points of view and four restricts attorneys comments only until after the trial and by sentencing 
uh, proceedings that may take place. The revised amended non-dissemination order is reasonable considering the facts of this case. One, the evidence presented by the defense showing the pervasiveness of media coverage, including coverage prejudicial to Colberger and coverage that includes extrajudicial statements by an attorney participating in this case and the impact such prejudicial news coverage has on potential jurors and the fair administration of justice. The restriction imposed serves a legitimate purpose and the very limiting incidental effects of the revised amended non-dissemination order on the media's First Amendment rights are overridden by the compelling interest in ensuring that Cole Berger's right to a fair trial under the Sixth Amendment is not jeopardized. On November 13th, 2024, University of Idaho students, Kayla Gonsalves, Madison Mogan, Zanet Cronodal, and Ethan Chapin were found deceased in Gonsalves, Mogan, and Cronodal's off-campus home in Moscow, Idaho. The cause of death for each was ruled a homicide as news of the tragedy broke. Many outlets from around the country descended upon Moscow as law enforcement investigated news stations, newspapers, and social media were flooded with stories and speculation about the homicides and law enforcement's investigative efforts and abilities. Throughout the course of the investigation, the Moscow Police Department, in partnership with the University of Idaho and Letaw County Prosecutor's Office and the Idaho Idaho State Police held press briefings to answer questions and reassure the public. Appropriately, the information released was limited to protect the integrity of the ongoing investigation, which doesn't happen in other states, Judge. On November, I'm sorry, on December 30th, 2022, Kohlberger was arrested and charged with four counts of murder in the first degree and one count of burglary. Again, media outlets descended upon Moscow and the news coverage quickly focused on Nothing Burger. The same day that Nothing Burger was charged, his attorney filed a motion for non-dissemination order asking the magistrate judge to enter an order barring parties, their attorneys, investigators, law enforcement personnel, and potential witnesses from discussing the case with any public communications media. Thereafter, on January 3rd, 2023, the defense and the state filed a stipulation for non-dissemination order prohibiting attorneys, investigators, and law enforcement personnel from making any extrajudicial statements, written or oral, concerning this case, other than a quotation from or reference to, without comment, the public records of the court in this case. The same day, the magistrate judge entered a non-dissemination order prohibiting the parties to the case, including investigators, law enforcement personnel, attorneys, and agents of the prosecuting attorney or defense attorney for making extrajudicial statements, written or oral, concerning this case, other than a quotation from or reference to without comment to the public records of the case. But on January 13, 2023, the magistrate judge held an in-chambers off-the-record conference, which they like to go off the record there in Idaho, with Lataw County Prosecuting Attorney William H. Thompson, Jr., Senior Deputy Prosecutor Ashley S. Jennings, Defense Counsel, and C. Taylor, attorneys for two witnesses in the case, and Shannon Gray, attorney for the Gonsalves 
family. A summary of the meeting as prepared by the parties in this case was filed with the Idaho Supreme Court on March 3rd, 2023, as part of the declaration of Deborah A. Ferguson. That sounds like a damn horror movie. In the case of Henry, petition of writ for mandums of writ of prohibition. The purpose of the conference was to address the applicability of the non-dissemination order to the attorneys, both present as parties to the case and the attorneys participating in the case. The magistrate judge reminded the attorneys that this case is a high-profile case with both national and international media coverage, and that they have a duty under the Idaho Rules of Professional Conduct to not interfere with the party's right to a fair trial. The magistrate advised the attorneys that it was not their job to disseminate information to the media. The magistrate judge stated that the non-dissemination order did not restrict the attorney's non-party clients from speaking to the media, but reiterated the importance of the case being tried in a court of law and not the media and encouraged each attorney to advise their clients accordingly in order to preserve the right to a fair trial by an impartial jury. On January 18th, the magistrate judge, based on the stipulation of the parties, entered the amended non-dissemination order to balance Kohlberger's and the state's right to a fair trial and to and the right to free expression as afforded under both the United States and Idaho Constitution. The magistrate noted that to preserve the right to a fair trial, some curtailment of the dissemination of information in this case is necessary and authorized under the law. So the non-dissemination order reads as follows. The attorney for any interested party in this case, including the prosecuting attorney, defense attorney, and any attorney representing a witness, victim or family, victim's family, as well as the parties to the above entitled action, including but not limited to investigators, law enforcement personnel, and agents for the prosecuting attorney or defense attorney, are prohibited for making extrajudicial statements written or oral concerning this case except without additional comment, a quotation from or reference to the official public record of the case. This order specifically prohibits any statements which a reasonable person would expect to be disseminated by means of public communication that relates to the following. Evidence regarding the occurrences or transactions involved in this case, the character, credibility, reputation, or criminal records of a party, victim, or witness, or the identifying of a witness, or the expected testimony of a party, victim, or witness. This is exactly what we talk about here on the Free Press every day. The performance C, the performance results of any examination or test, or the refusal or failure of a person to submit to an examination or test, any opinion as to the merits of the case, or the claims or defense of a party, any information a lawyer knows or reasonably should know is likely to be inadmissible as evidence in a trial, and that would, if disclosed, create a substantial risk of prejudicing an impartial trial. Any information reasonably likely to interfere with the trial in this case afforded under the United States and the Idaho Constitution, such as the existence or contents of any confession, admission or statements given to the defendant by the possibility of a plea of guilt, or any opinion as to the defendant's guilt or innocence. On February 6, 2023, the Associated Press... 
filed a petition for writ of mandarus or a writ of prohibition with the Idaho Supreme Court related to the amended non-dissemination order on April 24th, 2023. Idaho Supreme Court issued an opinion dis dismissing the Associated Press's petition, finding that although the media did have standing challenge to the amended non-dissemination order, they must first present their petition to the trial court. Thereafter, on May 2nd, 2023, the Associated Press filed a motion to intervene and a motion to vacate the amended non-dissemination order. The magistrate set a scheduling conference for May 22nd, 2023, and you all watched it right here on Midnight Radio. On May 16th, 2023, a surprise indictment was filed against Nothing Burger, and this court began presiding over the case. On May 22nd, 2023, after uh, Kohlberger's arraignment, this court conducted a scheduling conference that set a brief schedule, uh, a briefing schedule and hearing for oral argument. The Associated Press's motion to vacate the amended non-dissemination order was extensively briefed in both the state and Kohlberger submitted extensive briefing in opposition to the motion. Oral arguments were heard on June 9th, 2023. The state was represented by William H. Thompson Jr. and Bradley J. Rudley, Lataw County Prosecutor's Office. Kohlberger was represented by Nancy Taylor, J.W. Logson, Kutena County Public Defender's Office. The Associated Press was represented by Wendy Olson and Corey Carone. During the hearing, the defense put on the testimony of two expert witnesses. First, Gene R. Saucier, Senior Vice President of Truth Scope North America, testified. In some, Mr. Saucier testified to the quantity of media coverage in this case. It is undisputed that media coverage in this case is rampant and ongoing, kind of like a rash, including on television, the Internet, social media, and the radio. I'm doing two of those right now. News surrounding the case is being reported by reliable sources of news, unreliable news outlets, and individuals engaged in spreading or fueling rumors, otherwise known as smackerjackers. Theories and unfounded speculations. They should have said wild ass theories, and when you would have known who they were talking about. It is also, also. Worth noting that Mr. Saucier's testimony and the exhibits she showed, I wonder if she, who else she talked about on that, demonstrate that in the sh uh, share of voice media coverage category, Shannon Gray's stories in the media had the highest potential reach at 561,102,573 impressions with impressions being the opportunities to see a story. Ex exhibit A, to defendant's objection to media's mod. To vacate the amended non-dissemination order, Shannon Gray is the attorney for the Gonsalves family and is bound by the amended non-dissemination order. In other words, he is shut down. 
The defense also submitted several news articles demonstrating that at least some portion of the news, if not most of it, is prejudicial to Kohlberger. See motion to take uh, judicial notice of press coverage. Second, Dr. Imal A. Alai, social psychologist and social cognition researcher, testified to the impact social media can have on a potential juror. It was Dr. L. Alahe's opinion the vacating the non-dissemination order would increase the potential for bias among prospective jurors, both initially and throughout the trial. Dr. El Alahe further opinion that my review of research illustrates that the anti-defended pretrial publicity increases the probability of guilty verdicts and that this bias persists the, despite the receipt of trial arguments, evidence, admonitions to disregard the publicity, information, and jury deliberation. Commentary by individuals with status slash expertise, like police, attorneys, and judges, in media coverage, create more potential for biased jurors. Example D, to defend subjection to media's MOT, M-O-T, to vacate the amended non-dissemination order. Three, issues presented. The Associated Press argues that the amended non-dissemination order restrains their constitutional right to gather news before it can be exercised. In violation of the First Amendment, Mem and Sup of Mo which is motion uh, to vacate the amended non-dissemination order at 15. The Associated Press asserts that their first amendment rights are being violated. I feel also violated. The media does not make the news. It reports the news ID 17. The argument continues that if a court orders an individual not to provide information to the media, then the media has nothing to report interveners speech is thus being restrained before they can even speak 15 thus the associated press alleges that the amended non-dissemination order is a prior restraint on the media and does not does not survive the strict scrutiny test applied to prior restraints on the press in other words it doesn't survive the smell test it smells like ass this decision addresses the following one the obligation of the court to ensure that Kohlberger's right to a fair trial is not being jeopardized by prejudicial, extrajudicial statements. Two, the court's authority to impose restrictions on the speech of those attorneys and their agents involved in this case. And three, the standard applied to reviewing constitutional challenges by the media to non-dissemination orders aimed at pretrial participants, especially lawyers. Finally, this decision applies to the law to the facts of this case in addressing the Associated Press's argument that the amended non-dissemination order violates their First Amendment rights. Yes, it does. But you better enjoy the violation. That is what I'm reading here because that is what's going to happen. In 1966, the U.S. Supreme Court recognized the defendant's right to a trial by an impartial jury free from outside influences in the face of massive, pervasive, and prejudicial publicity. While recognizing that a responsible press has always been regarded as a handmaiden of a effective judicial administration, especially in the criminal field, The court chastened the trial judge for not taking strong measures to ensure Shepard's right to a fair trial uh, in 1522. In Shepard, there was not a dissemination 
order on trial participants or any gag order in the media. Notably, in overturning Shepard's conviction, the court listed several things that the trial should have done. The trial should have adopted stricter rules governing the use of the courtroom by newsmen and should have more closely regulated the conduct of newsmen in the courtroom. Look, let's go back at one of adopted stricter rules governing the use of the courtroom by the newsmen in the courtroom, the newsmen in there. The court should have insulated the witnesses, all the newspapers and radio stations apparently interviewed prospective witnesses at will and in many instances, instances disclose their testimony. Three, the court should have made some effort to control the release of leads, information, and gossip to the press by police officers, witnesses, and the counsel for both sides. Much of the information thus disclosed was inaccurate, leading to groundless rumors and confusing. Sound familiar, everybody? The judge should have at least warned the newspapers to check the accuracy of their accounts and five. It is obvious that the judge should have further sought to alleviate inaccurate prejudicial news by imposing controls over the statements made to the news media by counsel witnesses, and especially the coroner and police officers. In summary, the court stated that the trial court may might well have prescribed extrajudicial statements by any lawyer, party, witness, extrajudicial. That's hard for me to say, guys, when I'm uh, talking live on the radio. I'm going to read that again. In summary, the court stated that the trial might well have prescribed (laughs) extrajudicial. I got to say it. If I say it like I'm angry, I'm all right. Extrajudicial. Statements by any lawyer, party, witness, or court official which divulge prejudicial matters such as the refusal of Shepard to submit to interrogation or take any lie detector test. The identity of prospective witnesses or their probable testimony, any belief in guilt or innocence or like statements concerning the merits of the case. In this manner, Shepard's right to a trial free from outside influence would have been given added protection. Without corresponding curtailment of the news media, had the judge, the other officers of the court, and the police placed the interest of justice first, the news media would have soon learned to be content with the task of reporting the cases that unfolded in the court's room, not pieced together from extrajudicial statements. In other words, they would have learned to sit down, shut up, and to take it like a man. Addressing the tension between the First Amendment and the Sixth Amendment, the court stated this. From the cases coming here, we note that unfair and prejudicial news comments on pending trials has become increasingly prevalent. Due process requires that the accused receive a trial by an impartial jury free from outside influences. Given the pervasiveness of modern communications, any asshole can get on YouTube and on the radio and say whatever he wants. I just added that. But isn't it true? Given the pervasiveness of modern communications and the difficulty of effacing prejudicial publicity from the minds of the jurors, the trial courts must take strong measures to ensure that the balance is never weighed against the accused. And appellate tribunals have the duty to make an independent evaluation of the circumstances. Of course, there's nothing that prescribes the press from reporting events 
that transpire in the courtroom, but where there is a reasonable likelihood that prejudicial news prior to trial will prevent a fair trial, the judge should continue the case until the threat abates or transfer it to another county so not so permeated with publicity. In addition, sequestration of the jury was something the judge should have raised soon as Sponte with counsel. If publicity during the proceedings threatens the fairness of the trial, a new trial should be ordered, but we must remember that reversals are but palliatives. The cure lies in those remedial measures that will prevent the prejudice at its inception. The courts must take such steps by rule and regulation that will protect their processes from prejudicial outside influences. Neither prosecutors, counsel for defense, the accused, witnesses, court staff, or enforcement officers coming under the jurisdiction of the court should be permitted to frustrate its function. Collaboration between counsel and the press as to information affecting the fairness of a criminal trial is not only subject to regulation, but is highly censurable and worthy of disciplinary measures. Now, the Associated Press relies heavily on CBS Incorporated versus Young from 1975 in support of their position that the amended non-dissemination order is unconstitutional and must be vacated. In that case, the appellate court issued a decision addressing a non-dissemination order entered in a civil case. There, the non-dissemination order prohibited all counsel and court personnel, all parties concerned with its litigation, whether plaintiffs or defendants, their relatives, close friends, and associates from discussing in any manner whatsoever these cases with members of the news, media, or the public. The press challenged the order as violating the press's rights under the First Amendment. The court held as follows. Before a trial court can limit defendants and their attorneys' exercise of First Amendment rights of freedom of speech, the record must contain sufficient specific findings by the trial court establishing that defendants and their attorneys' conduct is a serious and imminent threat, the administration of justice, Craig versus Harney. 1947, applying either the standard that the speech must create a clear and present danger, Wood versus Georgia, 1962, of a serious and imminent threat to the administration of justice or the lesser standard that there must be a reasonable likelihood, United States versus Teherana, I'm murdering that one, 1969, of a serious and imminent threat to the administration of justice, we hold that the trial court's order is constitutionally impermissible. However, the court reasoned that the order issued by the trial court constituted a prior direct restraint upon freedom of expression. In sweeping terms, it seals the lips of all parties concerned with this litigation, whether plaintiffs or defendants, their relatives, close friends, and associates, bankers, you know, grocery sackers, from discussing in any manner whatsoever these cases with members of the news media or the public. Although the news media are not directly enjoined from discussing the case, it is apparent that significant and meaningful sources of information concerning the case are effectively removed from them and their representatives to the extent that their protected right to obtain information concerning the trial is curtailed and impaired. The court continued. 
We find the order to be an extreme example of a prior restraint upon freedom of speech and expression and one that cannot escape the prescriptions of the First Amendment unless it is shown to have been required to obviate the serious and imminent threats to the fairness of integrity of the trial. Order denying the Associated Press's motion to vacate the amended non-dissemination order. In this court's view, the Young's court reliance on the high standard applied in Craig versus Harney, Orwood versus Georgia, is misplaced. Both of these cases dealt with contempt proceedings and did not address non-dissemination orders restricting extrajudicial statements by specific persons to preserve the right to a fair trial in Harney. Three media personnel were found guilty of criminal contempt and sentenced to three days in jail for publications during an ongoing civil case in which they criticized the presiding judge. The judge found the news reports were designed to falsely represent to the public the nature of the proceedings and to prejudice and influence the court to grant a new trial. In reversing the decision of the trial court, the court held that giving the editorial all the venomous with which the court below found in it will fail to see how it could in any realistic sense create an imminent and serious threat to the ability of the court to give fair consideration to the motion for the hearing. In uh, Harney, this court agrees that any attempt by court to hold the media in contempt and even jail them for publications critical of the court should be viewed under the strictest scrutiny. However, the facts in Harney have no similarity to the restriction on the speech of trial participants in the case or in the Young case. In Wood, a grand jury was impaneled and instructed by the court to investigate a voting issue within the county. While the grand jury was in session, the elected sheriff issued a public statement criticizing the judge for singling out the African-American community and essentially attempting, through the judicial process, to intimidate and silence the African-American vote. The sheriff also wrote a letter to the grand jury implying that the court's charge was false. Among other things, a month later, the sheriff was cited for contempt following a trial where the court failed to make any findings or articulate any reasonings for its decision. The sheriff was found guilty of contempt and sentenced to 20 days in jail. In overturning the contempt conviction, the Supreme Court held that as an elected official, the sheriff had the right to enter the field of political controversy, particularly where his political life is at stake. The role that elected officials play in our society makes it all the more imperative that they be allowed freely to express themselves on a matter of current public importance. Our examination of the content of petitioner's statements and circumstances under which they were published leads us, the sick, conclude that they did not present a danger to the administration of justice that would vitalize um, Huh. Interesting choice of words. Vital his freedom to express his opinions in the chosen Wood uh, Wood case 394-95. Again, the facts in Wood have no similarities to the amended non-dissemination order. To this case or in the facts of Young. Additionally, the Young's court's findings that before trial, court can limit defendants and their attorney's exercise 
The First Amendment rise to freedom of speech. The record must contain sufficient specific findings by the trial court establishing that defendants and their attorneys' conduct is a serious and imminent threat to the administration of justice. Is at odds with the Supreme Court's later holding in Gentile. That will be discussed below, but see Levine versus U.S. District uh, of California, 1985. The trial court imposed a restraining order prohibiting attorneys involved in this case from communicating with the media regarding the merits of the case. In reviewing the restraining order, the Ninth Circuit applied strict scrutiny. Regardless of the standard applied to a constitutional challenge by a lawyer restricted by a non-dissemination order, A less demanding standard is applied when the media challenges such an order. Radio and television news associations of Southern California versus U.S. District of Connecticut Center, California, 1986. In 1976, U.S. Supreme Court again addressed the tensions between the First Amendment and the Sixth Amendment in Nebraska Press Association versus the court in 1976. Even then, in 1976, the court acknowledged that the speed of communication and the pervasiveness of the modern news media have exacerbated the tension between the First Amendment and the Sixth Amendment. Unlike in this case, Nebraska Press dealt with a restraint in the media's ability to publish or broadcast specific information. Uh, for example, a restraint on freedom of the press and not a restraint on freedom of speech. The court recognized that when the case is a sensational one, tensions develop between the right of the accused to trial by an impartial jury and the rights guaranteed others by the First Amendment. The court noted that a prior res uh, restraint on speech is most serious and the least tolerable infringement on the First Amendment rights also acknowledging that when the death penalty is on the table, it is not required too much that a defendant be tried in an atmosphere undisturbed by so huge a wave of public passion. In uh, Irwin versus Dowd, 1961, the court stated, it is not asking too much to suggest those who exercise First Amendment rights in newspapers or broadcasting enterprises direct some effort to protect the rights of an accused to a fair trial by unbiased jurors. You know, the funny part about this is there's no burden on the news media to what they report anymore. So the burden and the only thing they control can control is the court and agents of the court. That's the difference. In a footnote in the occurring opinion authored by Justice Vernon or Brennan, I'm sorry. The following was noted. A significant component of prejudicial pre-trial publicity may be traced to public commentary on pending cases by court personnel, law enforcement officials, and the attorneys involved in the case. Shepard versus Maxwell, Supra, we observe that the trial court might well be prescribed extrajudicial statements by any lawyer, party witness, or court official which divulge prejudicial matters the judge should have further sought to alleviate this problem of publicity that misrepresented the trial testimony by imposing control over the statements made to the news media 
by counsel, witnesses, and especially the coroner and police officers. You know, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about, okay, I'm going to pause it. I don't know how much farther we got to go. Not farther. I'm going to pause it right here because I want to see what you guys are saying in the chat room. Um, and then I'm going to continue this. I'm going to go all the way through it. We're almost done. I find this very educational. I hope you are too. But as I'm going through this, it just, a thought came to me. And and if you, if those of you that are just tuning in, um, we're going over the paperwork that just dropped from Ann Taylor. And this is on the Idaho four case. And this is the gag order. Somebody asked me at the beginning of the broadcast, have we found out about the gag order yet? And then, then boom, in the middle of the broadcast, we found out that the paperwork dropped and then we got it. Uh, I had a tornado outside, got hit by lightning and knocked my mixer off, knocked me offline. I'm back now. But the first part of this, we were going over wild ass speculations and wild ass theories about the Idaho 4 case. And then we're hitting the other true crime stories that are currently going on right now. And Justin came up again. And one of the things Justin said was that his father was a what? His father was a what? But you're almost, let me see. Do I even, yes, I do have his videos. His father was a deputy. I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to this. His father was a grand knight, and we're going to go back to the paperwork. And we're like, what the hell does this mean? And uh, I was I was talking to everybody in the audience. I was talking with everybody in the audience. I'm like, what the hell does this mean? And uh, <laughs> I need to show you guys something. This is hilarious. I need to show you guys something. Show me. Show me, big boy. All right. <laughs> All right. So somebody, again, I admitted, I, what the hell is this? Charter Deputy Grand National Grand Now, What the F does this mean? I don't know. I'm ignorant here. Somebody came in the chair and was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And this is after we'd moved on in the show and they were re-watching it up to the point. And they're like, that just means that you know, he, uh, he was a fundraiser. He helped, you know, raise money for the children. I thought that was hilarious. My point is this. So the first part of the show, you're going to see this. And, uh, if you're watching the show and you're looking at the chat room, then you can see what's going on and, uh, what this guy's talking about. So you get some information, you don't know what it is and you just make, make stuff up. I mean, how hard is that? Here we go. My dad was a deputy grand knight. My father was a deputy grand knight. My father was next in line to be the grand knight. Someone shut my father up. My father knew something he wasn't supposed to know. He was a fundraiser in the hospital. If you knew my father, you have some serious explaining to do. Everything I thought I knew about my father has been a fucking lie. All of it. I thought he was horrible. 
But he raised money for the children. My father was mixed up in some shit. And someone needs to start talking. I'm sorry I'd play that again. <laughs> he was he was a money raiser. He was a fundraiser. All right, here we're we're back. That was just a brief side. A side note, we're going through this information. We got a few. I'm gonna make me a badge with crayons. That's what we do here. I could read this in the style of Jimmy Stewart. Well, as court off officers of the court, court personnel and, and attorneys have a fiduciary res responsibility to engage in public debate that will redound to the detriment of life of the accused or that will obstruct the fair administration of justice. It is very doubtful the court would not have the power to control release of information by these individuals in appropriate cases. And to impose suitable limitation whose transgressions could result in disciplinary proceedings. All right, here we go. Shepard and Nebraska Press leave no doubt that in appropriate cases, the court has the authority to regulate the speech of attorneys involved in a case, as well as their agents, such as law enforcement, to prevent prejudicial pretrial statements to preserve the right to fair trial by an impartial jury. In 1985 and 1986, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals addressed a situation strikingly similar to the one now before this court in two separate opinions. As a way of background, defendant Richard Miller, a former FBI agent, was charged with espionage. The case received extensive local and national media coverage. After attorneys for both the prosecution and the defense engaged in extrajudicial statements to the media, the trial court entered an order prohibiting all attorneys in the case from making any statements to members of the news media concerning any aspect of the case that bears upon the merits to be resolved by the jury. In Levine, the court addressed the challenge to the non-dissemination order brought by defense counsel. The court framed the issue as addressing the clash between the basic and fundamental right to fair criminal trial, uh, jury trial, and the First Amendment right of attorneys to engage in free speech. In reviewing the restraining order, the Ninth Court noted that the district court's order applies only to trial participants. The Supreme Court has suggested that it is an appropriate that it is appropriate to impose greater restrictions on the free speech rights of trial participants than on the rights of non-participants. The case for restraints on trial participants is especially strong with respect to attorneys. The court, nevertheless, applied strict scrutiny. Accordingly, the district court's order may be upheld only if the government establishes that, one, the activity restrained poses either a clear and present danger or a serious and imminent threat to a, protective, a protected competing interest. Two, the order is narrowly drawn in. Three, less restrictive alternatives are not available. Internal citations omitted. The court concluded that the speech of the lawyers did pose a serious and imminent threat to the administration of justice and that the trial court's choice of remedy was appropriate. However, the court found that the non-dissemination order was overboard and directed the district court as follows. 
It is apparent that many statements that bear upon the merits to be resolved by the jury present present no danger to the administration of justice. After the filing of this opinion, the district court must determine which types of extrajudicial statements pose a serious and imminent threat to the administration of justice in this case. The district court then must fashion an order specifying the prescribed types of statements with regard to statements by the prosecution. It would be appropriate for the district court to order the government to observe the self-imposed limitations set forth in 28 CFR 1984. With regard to statements by the defense, it would be appropriate to prescribe statements relating to one or more of the following subjects. After this, guys, after I finish reading this, these next few pages, I have some information, some breaking news about Chris Cuomo. I know you're not going to want to miss that. It's actually interesting what he talks about when he lets his hair down. The character, credibility, or reputation of a party to the the identity of a witness or the expected testimony of a party or a witness. Three, the contents of any pretrial confession admission or statement given by defendant or that person's refusal refusal or failure to make a statement. For the identity or nature of physical evidence expected to be presented or the absence of such physical evidence. Five, the strengths or weaknesses of the case of either party. And six, any other information the lawyer knows or reasonably should know is likely to be inadmissible as evidence would create a substantial risk of prejudice if disclosed. ABA standards for criminal justice, moral code of professional responsibility, 1979. The case then went back to the trial court. The trial court amended its restraining order to adopt the sixth categories of speech by lawyers specified in the ninth circuit as appropriate to prescribe the radio and television news association then filed for a writ of mandamus with the ninth circuit, arguing that the restraining order even as amended, posed an unconstitutional prior restraint infringing freedoms of the press. Circuit addresses the media's challenge in radio. Like here, the media argued that the order, by effectively denying media access to the trial, participants constitutes an unconstitutional restraint on the media's ability to gather news. Much of the court's opinion concluding that the trial court's amended restraining order was reasonable and served a legitimate purpose is worth repeating. The impact on the media in this case is significantly different from situations where the media is denied access to a criminal trial or is restricted in disseminating any information it obtains. In contrast, the district court's order in this case is not directed towards the press at all. On the contrary, the media is free to attend all the trial proceedings before the court, the district court, and to report anything that happens. In fact, the press remains free to direct questions at pre-trial counsel. Trial counsel simply may not be free to answer. In some, the media's right to gather news and disseminate it to the public has not been restrained. As we noted in Levine, 
the district court's order raises a freedom of the press issue that is analytically distinct from the issues that were raised in Associated Press and CBS. Rather, the RTNA asserts a First Amendment right of full access to trial participants. The assertion is not supported by constitutional case uh, by constitutional case law. Procuner, 1974, in holding that freedom of the press was not infringed by government restrictions on interviews with prison inmates, court rejected media assertion of rights of access to the sources of what is regarded as newsworthy information. The press does enjoy a constitutional interest in access to our criminal courts and criminal justice processes. I'm going to see how many. Holy God, this is long. Let's go back. Let's go down. I thought I could do it, guys. I thought I could do it. Let me check. Let me check in with the chat room real quick. What do we got going on, guys? There are cameras everywhere. There are cameras everywhere. Even if he was home alone, they could probably prove it. I'm missing some good comments, guys. I know it. The Grand Knight confers with the Deputy Grand Knight and trustees and submits a recommendation to the ordinary of the diocese for appointment of a priest or bishop as a council chaplain. That is hilarious, guys. Yeah, that's right. I was thinking it was like collecting money in a Catholic uh, hospital. Oh, man. See, you got to watch the chat room when people are watching these things. So Justin is just completely and utterly full of crap. Thank you, Dragonfly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. So those of you that are wondering what the hell we're talking about, about Grand Knight, You'll have to watch the first half of this video, part one. Who mentioned Freemasons earlier? I don't know. Somebody didn't say it was the Freemasons. They, like, was it the Freemasons? All right. So continuing here, I'm going to see what message I got. We're going to continue on here. All right. Here we go. Boom. Comment one. Rule 3.6 also expressly allows lawyers participating in a matter to state the following. One, the claim offense or defense involved and except when prohibited by law, the, identif the identity of the persons involved too. Information contained in a public record, an investigation of a matter is in progress, the scheduling or result of any step in litigation, a request for assistance in obtaining evidence and information necessary. Six, a warning of danger concerning the behavior of a person involved when there is reason to believe that there exists a likelihood of, sub of substantial harm to an individual or to the public interest. Seven in a criminal case, in addition to subparagraphs one and six, the, identi the identity, residence, occupation, and family status of the accused. 
If the accused has not been apprehended, information necessary to aid in apprehension of that person, the fact, time, place of arrest, and the identify the identity of the the investigating and arresting officers or agencies in the length of the investigation. What the hell is different with Idaho than the rest of the freaking United States? That is the question. Are they a shining pillar example of the legal profession? Only there, nowhere else? Because if you noticed, I went over several other true crime stories, and you knew every damn thing about them before they went to trial. What's the difference? We have videos of them getting arrested, the body. They don't care. They give you everything. What the hell is different here? And they're telling us it's not different. It's just the way it is. That is my problem, all right? I have no problem with what they're saying here. If these are their own rules, this is our rule that we established here. We're going by our own rules for this. I don't give a damn about their rules. Those are for them. Again, they're not for the media anyway, so I really don't care. It's for, unfortunately, the people that have the most problem with it are... uh, the mainstream media and the family and the attorney for the family. That's mainly it. Comment one to rule 3.6 recognizes difficulty in striking a balance between protecting the right to a fair trial and safeguarding the right of free expression. Preserving the right to a fair trial, trial necessarily entails some curtailment of the information that may be disseminated about a party prior to trial, particularly where trial by jury is involved. All right. Um, So what I showed you is what was released by the different departments today about the Chad, the jackass in Ohio who killed his children. All right. What do we see? They gave us a 911 call. Do we have the 911 call from Idaho? No. Which is a bigger story? How come we don't have the 911 call from Idaho? What's different? It's like they're pissing on my face off the top of a building telling me it's raining. They can say what they want. They're going by their own rules. What's the difference? We got the 911 call. We have the body camera of the video from the police arresting him. What is different with Cole Berger? What is different? This other man hasn't gone to trial. Um, Not just that, but these other stories I'm covering, I got some more I haven't gone over with you yet. What is different? That is what bothers me more than anything out of this. Now, you can tell me that it's normal all you want, but we know what we see. We weren't born yesterday. If we had no experience in this, and maybe maybe some of them actually believe this because they've been in Idaho their whole life and they don't look at these stories on a daily basis like we do. We know it's not normal, so stop telling us it is. The American Bar Association has also, has also standards for conduct of attorneys. Standard 8.2.1. Again, you know, this is... For attorneys. But I'm talking about the information that was released. Whether they have 
control of the attorneys is something completely different. When you're licensed, when you get a license, guys, and I'm not talking about a driver's license, although that does apply, you know, you can't just um, drive a, you know, get a license for a car and try to drive a semi. You know, you can't do that. You know, there's, I have all kinds of licensing for broadcasting. There's certain things I do and certain things I can't do and certain things I shouldn't do. And then there's some gray areas, you know. I have a special license so I can cuss in case you're wondering. We are broadcasting over the airways right here in beautiful Badlands of Texas. For those of you that can get my signal. But uh, whoever falls under that license, they have control of. And the media is, is uh, something different. And media licensing is different also. Uh, media licensing is one of the most, uh, what's the word for it? Free licenses that you can get. Uh, subject to any additional limitations imposed by local or professional rules during the, the pendency of a criminal matter, a lawyer participating in that criminal matter should not make cause to be made, condone or authorize the making of a public extrajudicial statement if the lawyer knows or reasonably should know that it will have a substantial likelihood of influencing the outcome of that or any other related criminal trial or prejudice the jury, even if an untainted panel ultimately can be found. I, I unnecessarily heightening public condemnation of a defendant or person or entity who has been publicly identified in the context of criminal investigation or of a witness or victim, or of undermining the public's respect for the judicial process. ABA standards for criminal justice, fair trial, and public discourse. I'll tell you what, their um, legal aides are real busy on this. While only the occasional case presents a danger of prejudice from pretrial publicity, uh, this case is recognized by the Idaho Supreme Court, has drawn widespread publicity, garnering worldwide media attention and much speculation therefore pre-trial publicity does not present a real danger of prejudice does i'm sorry does say does not pre-trial publicity does present a real danger of prejudice in re petition for writ of mandamus of writ of prohibition Idaho, April 24th, 2023, recognizing the high-profile nature of the case and the extensive coverage it has received, along with the need to minimize possible pre-trial prejudice, the party stipulated to entry of the original non-dissemination order and the amended non-dissemination order, as was noted by District Judge Stephen W. Boyce of his memorandum decision and order prohibiting video and photo okay here we go guys what kind of video are we going to give the trial and uh this was bum, 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 Idaho 24 April April 24 2023 as was noted by district judge Stephen W Boyce in his memorandum decision and order prohibiting video and photographic coverage in the case of Lori Noreen Vallow Daybell Agreement between the state and defense on any issue in a capital case is rare, further confirming to the court the legitimacy and level of concern counsel have raised. The same is true in this instance. Oh, this is bullshit. All right, so in the, the I do not agree with them on this. Yeah, they prohibited everything from Lori Vallow's case in the courtroom because the 
news media that were in the courtroom were doing illegal things. You know, uh, Lori was making notes and giving it to her lawyer and they were zooming in on it and trying to get audio of them talking together, which was illegal. So that is why they got kicked out. And that is why the defense and the prosecution was in agreement. It has nothing to do with what they're talking about here. One, this court has an obligation to take measures to ensure Colberger's right to a fair trial, including prescribing potentially prejudicial, extrajudicial statements by any lawyer participating in the case. Few, if any, interests under the Constitution are more fundamental than the right to a fair trial by impartial jurors and an outcome affected by extrajudicial statements would violate that fundamental right. The court also recognized the important role the press plays in the judicial system Sure you do. A responsible press has always been regarded as a handmaiden of effectual judicial administration. Again, they've said this before and they're saying it again, especially in the criminal field. How many? However, with the advent of the internet and social media, with the internet sleuths like you, The tensions between the First Amendment and the Sixth Amendment continue to increase. It's your fault. If you're watching this, it's your fault. As was outlined in Shepard, trial courts must take strong measures to ensure the balance is never weighed against the accused. In this case, the amended non-dissemination order in place by the party stipulation to protect Kohlberger's right to a fair trial is not directed toward the press at all. Like in radio and television news, the amended non-dissemination order is aimed at attorneys participating in the case and their agents, such as law enforcement. The U.S. Supreme Court has made clear that a trial court can prescribe extrajudicial statements by any lawyer, party, witness, which includes the Gonsalves family here, party, witness, or court official, which divulged prejudicial matters. All right. Um, such restraining orders raise a freedom of the press issue that is analytically distinct from the prior restraints on the media. Non-dissemination orders that restrain the speech of lawyers representing clients in pending cases may be regulated under a less demanding standard than that established for regulation of the press in uh, Nebraska Press Association versus Stewart, 1976. You guys, there's going to be a test about this. Four pages left. Checking back in with our chat room right now. What do we got, guys? I don't know about any naked man, just my hubby. You didn't know I was going to read that one, nor did you know I was going to sing about it. Lisa Maxwell, correct. He has not given an alibi. He wants an extension. Yes, he does. I have no raw evidence. The case with the three kids had witnesses. Idaho 4, there were no witnesses. So this case is going to be harder to prove. Somebody's husband is running around naked as we speak. And then people are hearing about it on YouTube and they're hearing about it on the radio here in the Badlands of Texas and around the world, 360 degrees around the earth. Boss Maca, Laura, from my own experience and observation, MPT are the biggest thugs in Moscow. 
that are capable of doing a crime like this and getting away with it. Always good to hear from boss. Electra, I agree, although he is the only man, woman on this planet that could have placed that DNA on the sheath. You know, to speak about that, so you guys have heard that the DNA came back, the cheek swab on Cole Berger, and they said it does match the sheath. Before what they had, so they took what they had on the sheath and they matched it with Kohlberger's father saying there was a 99 percentage that a child of Kohlberger's father is the one that touched the sheath, all right? Which leads you to believe that, hey, you know, maybe that means a murderer could have been one of Kohlberger's sisters, right? Ha ha, just thinking in your mind, you know, well, technically it could be one of Kohlberger's sisters. Check this out. So it's epithelial. Somebody asked, is sweat, is sweat in uh, epithelial cells is what they had on the snap of, of the sheath. And, man, there couldn't be a less amount, just like a little swipe on the sheath of the fingerprint. Check this out. Whenever you're doing uh, a DNA analysis, they always have to do two samples, right? And we're talking about, a, you know, a little swipe on a button. Like right now, I'm not going to show you because it's kind of gross, but you know, when I was uh, busting ass for the house, trying to run away from the tornado earlier after it zapped my mixer and uh, knocked me off the internet, I got a little fingerprint here on my glasses, just a little fingerprint. I don't know if you can see it. I know you can't. So you're taking this little bitty epithelial cells, which is the hardest thing to get DNA from, you got two samples that you have to send off for two checks for the father. Then you have to do two checks from that for Kohlberger from just epithelial cells from a fingerprint. That's hard to believe. It's not like they had blood or did they? So yeah, I find that's that highly suspect. And I really want to look at that evidence because um, I'm not saying it's not true but I'm saying epithelial cells, they did two samples of it to check the, the hereditary DNA from the father's trash. And then they had to do two samples for Kohlberger's cheek. All right. What else do we got here? Dragonfly. They went to the girl's house enough and Laura and Electra for noise complaints that that the one took a picture of her ID of the cell phone and his body cam. That is true. That is true. Naked in the middle of a tornado on a Fruit Loop freaking Friday. That is something right there. What if MPD confiscated the sheath during the 821 interrogation with BT? I was thinking about that. So I was thinking... And again, I'm going to finish this. We got three or four pages left. And uh, we're reading over the papers that came back about the gag order today. Um, what other scenarios would be legitimate for his fingerprint to be on that sheath, to be in the house? Now, not necessarily where they found it on the bed or for um, somebody from the Greek fraternity to have it. What scenarios um, could have existed for that to actually have happened? If he was, there would have to be a level of planning. You know, if he's there smoking a doobie and somebody throws the knife in a sheath, hey, 
Hey, hey, jackass, catch it, and he catches it. Uh huh. You know, if they planned it ahead of time, that would happen. You know, if somebody knew him there, actually knew him, if he'd actually been in the house before many times, like if there really, and I'm not saying there was, again, this is a speculation. It's not even a speculation because I'm not saying it's true, but if he's in the house before, he was in there many times, it was a drug house and it wasn't that big of a deal and he was in there, you know, that could very well happen. Someone's saying, she's not planted in my honest opinion. I don't know. I don't think it was planted either, but actually that's not really even saying it's planted. Um, and proving that something was planted. Yeah. How's that ever going to work? You know, there's some people, um, I was looking at these wild ass speculations and there's some people that swear that uh, he didn't do it. There's some people that really think that and they don't have a lot of information, concrete information back in it. But um, proving that that DNA was planted, would, if it was, don't you think that would almost be impossible to do that? All right, uh, continuing this right here. Have a fiduciary responsibility Oh, wait, wait, wait. I saw a good comment. They planted stuff on Steve Avery. That's what somebody said. They planted stuff on Steve Avery. Um, yeah, I saw that. I saw that documentary too. And it, I don't know what all they planted, but one thing I saw that did look like it was planted is it looked like that one officer planted uh, Hallbach's burnt out car or her car. It was a burnout in Stephen Avery's property. That did look like that happened. But again, like I said, whether they planted it or not, it's really hard to prove that somebody planted something. You know what I'm saying? Not saying that they did or didn't. You know, it looked like they did to me when I watched the documentary. But again, court of law, that's hard to prove that something was planted. Let's look at that. Uh, what's the statistics on saying, hey, it was planted, and then actually saying, well, you know what? These men that work for us, these these fine upstanding police officers, you know, I'm looking through their record and uh, Mr. Criminal Man we're accusing, you're right, we're going to slide with you. They don't do that, man. I mean, I'm going to continue this. Um, Non-dissemination orders that restrain the speech of lawyers representing clients in pending cases may be regulated under a less demanding standard than that established for regulation of the press. All right. Membership in the bar is a privileged burden with conditions. Again, they said that before. Uh, two, strict scrutiny does not apply to the media's constitutional challenge of the amended non-dissemination order. And three, the restrictions on the extrajudicial statements of counsel and their agents to the press are necessary to reduce prejudicial publicity and protect nothing burgers right to a fair trial. And four, do we have a four? All right, let me see where the end of this is and read the last two pages. Here we go. I hear the storm coming back. 
The evidence pre presented by the defense shows that one, media coverage in this case is rampant and ongoing. At least one, if not most, of the news coverage is prejudicial to Kohlberger. Three, a portion of the statements being made to the media are coming from an attorney participating in the case. And vacating the non-dissemination order would increase the potential for bias among prospective jurors, both intentionally, initially and throughout the trial. And five, anti-defendant pre-trial publicity increases the probability of guilty verdicts and then this bias persists despite the receipt of trial slash argument slash evidence admonitions and disregard of the public information and jury deliberation commentary by individuals with status slash expertise police attorneys and judges in media coverage creating more potential for biased jurors um, example, due to defendant's objection to media's mod to vacate the amended dissemination order. As currently drafted, the amended non-dissemination order is arguably overboard and vague in some areas. However, it does not serve a legitimate purpose and restricting the speech of attorneys participating in the case is reasonable. The very incidental effects of the speech restrictions on the media's First Amendment rights are overridden by the compelling interest in ensuring a fair trial by an impartial jury statements by counsel participating in the case on matters bearing on the merits of the case might impair the fairness of the trial or threaten the integrity of the ju judicial process. The amended non-dissemination order is not intended to conceal the workings of the criminal justice system from the public. Of course not. The media is not restrained in any way and is free to attend hearings and report on what they observe and hear. For these reasons, the media's request that the amended non-dissemination order be vacated is denied. Pfft, off with you. Go eat cake. However, because the amended non-dissemination order is arguably overbroad and vague, the court will issue a revised amended non-dissemination order to further clarify and narrow what speech by lawyers participating in the case and their agents are allowed and prohibited by giving specific examples. The revised amended non-dissemination order is narrowly drawn by to prohibit only extrajudicial, extra, extra judicial statements that have a substantial likelihood of materially prejudicing, prejudicing, prejudicing the case. The restriction on attorney speech applies equally to all attorneys participating in the public case and will restrict the attorney's comments only until after the trial and any uh, sentencing proceedings. The regulation of attorney's each meets the less demanding standards set forth in gentle gentile or gentilly either way it's spelled like that as well as strict uh, scrutiny the restrictions are necessary to protect Kohlberger's right to a fair trial and the fair administration of justice by golly we should have we shall have justice as to the media's constitutional challenge the restrictions imposed on attorneys participating in the case and their agents are not only reasonable and legitimate considering the high-profile nature of this case, but also meet the strict scrutiny standard. The Associated Press requests that the amended non-dissemination order be vacated is denied. Denied! However, the revised amended non-dissemination order will replace the amended non-dissemination order. It will clarify and narrow the restrictions on speech and individuals whose speech is speech. Signed, Love, John C. Judge, District Judge. Read by Gerald Smimmons. Four.
Audible. Yeah, I just did the audio book of this. All right, guys, let's see what we got now. Norma Jean says, come forward first couple of days, saying he was on the bridge in the close of the time, so the guy walked free working at CVS for years. You guys are talking about. I'm so excited. Indiana Jones, the new movie sucks. Indiana, oh, I'm sorry, Indiana LA, sorry. I thought you were talking about the movie. All right, guys, I'm almost out of time. I'm going to see if I have any time for any of these stories that I missed. I'm going to have to go through real fast. Woman and ex-husband dead in apparent murder-suicide in Geneva. We have new details of yesterday's deadly shooting in West Suburban Geneva. Police say a man killed his ex-wife before taking his own life. Authorities say 49-year-old Chad Dockery called 911 informing them that he had murdered his former wife, 48-year-old Amanda Dockery. Wow. When police arrived, they found Chad. Damn, that's a nice house, too. The inside a vehicle with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Both were taken to the hospital where they were pronounced dead. Crazy. All right, moving on. Now, we talked about the aliens. All right. I don't have a lot of time to go over this, but I did find, I had the footage of the damn spacecraft. Yeah, yeah, I've got footage of the spacecraft. Um, here it is. Here's what they saw. This is of something falling in it. This is not. Again, I'm telling you this, guys. This is bizarre shizzle McFizzle, all right? Uh, you can see the the UFO or unidentified aerial phenomenon falling. This is not the backyard that it fell into. It fell into a backyard, and those are the people's, you know, we saw that video. I'm not playing this whole thing for you, but I'm actually just playing the footage of the damn thing falling right now. It was the streak seen across the sky it was the streak seen across the sky now seen around the world it went into a backyard it was the streak seen across the sky now seen around i'm gonna show you the streak it was the streak seen across the sky now seen around the world used to mean something else in the 70s this is our 8 News Now. Investigators confirm Metro actually set up cameras at this home where a family called 911 claiming to see aliens in their backyard. And tonight, a fierce... De- all right. That's all I've got to say about that. All right, I'm going to check this out. I'm almost, gone, almost done, guys. Check this out. Um, Chris Cuomo's letting his hair down. He says some unfavorable things about... Um, Sylvester Stallone, but I found this exchange very interesting on play. Wolf Blitzer, I called the captain when I was there. All right. So um, before I play this, uh, I'm going to play what he said about Wolf Blitzer. Uh, so, guys, what could you tell me about Wolf Blitzer? Apparently, there's something I missed. Wolf Blitzer got fired for having his penis out underneath the desk. True story. What? I didn't know that. So, Chris Cuomo has branded uh, acting legend Sylvester Stallone a cartoonish fool in a bizarre rant during appearance on the Adam Freeland show on Wednesday. The disgrace seen in Anchor 52. Again, this is by uh, Daily Mail. Apparently, they don't like um, Chris Cuomo, so they're slanted. And when you see the video, you'll see how it actually went down. But he said he doesn't love any of his legendary characters, Sylvester Stallone. 
Now, here's when the chat began. This part is not on the video. The chat began when Freeland asked if his former co-worker, Wolf Blitzer, had ever ever had his penis out under the desk, to which Cuomo responded, no. I called him the captain when I was there. Okay. So, I don't know. Is that a thing that Wolf Blitzer used to do? I don't know, but uh, here's this exchange, and then I'm going to move on after Wolf this. Wolf Blitzer, I called the captain when I was there. He is the he was the exemplar of everything we wanted to be. The guy works his ass off. It's like a Stallone a character. Man. I know Wolf Blitzer. Except instead of being a cartoonish fool, uh, Blitzer is just an earnest. You're good anti Stallone. Um, I don't love his characters. So, I, Chris, I wouldn't hate anyone. Okay. You get easily offended, huh? That last part I found was hilarious. Chris, I wouldn't hate anyone. You get easily offended, huh? You get huh? easily offended, huh? I thought that was hilarious. I don't know if she's a girl. It's the name of this video. Check this out. You won't believe what she did. So tonight, he thought he was on a date with a woman he met at a nightclub when he brought her to, back to his hotel room. But police say she had other plans in mind. NBC6 Claudia Docampo is at the Metro Justice Building with the details. Well, it seems a date went horribly wrong when the victim says he was pepper sprayed and robbed. Good morning, ma'am. You're being charged armed robbery with a weapon. Prosecutors say 21-year-old Alicia Thalassinos met the victim at Club Space. Then they took an Uber to the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami Beach and went to his room. After entering the room, she grabbed $500 of cash from the nightstands. She went to leave. As she exited the door, he tried to get a hold of her to get the money back. But instead, the victim says he got pepper sprayed. He then called the front desk and Thalassinos was stopped by the hotel security officers as she was trying to get away. She was detained. She had $580, I believe, in her purse as well as a bottle of pepper spray. How long have you been here, Ms. Thalassinos? For about... Five months now. Okay. Thalassinos has prior arrests in New York for allegedly stealing a car and then in Pennsylvania for retail theft. The judge gave her a bond of $5,000 plus a stay away order from the victim at the Metro Justice Building. Local scene, local uh, singles near you will in the day. Did you guys see this? Uh, check this out. <laughs> Looks fake to me, but apparently. Apparently, uh, McGregor knocked him out. At least McGregor knocked somebody out. Oh. All right. So I have this story. I'm not going to go over it, but teen arrested for murder of Florida grandmother who is a desert storm veteran. And this is a, a female. Angela Sutton was shot and killed February 7th near a strip mall in Orlando, Florida. The alleged shooter was a 15 year old was charged with first degree murder. So, yeah, this is just disturbing as hell, and I want to share it with somebody. 
I don't know what to think about this. Herbie. Paul Simon? Who the fuck are you? You nothing. You nothing. You are nothing. And you will never be anything. Never. How dare you? How dare you? You miserable, mediocre nothing. I think I want to end every show of mine with that from... Not the whole thing, but just the last part from now on. All right. Uh, let me see what else I got for you. Uh, I am a Bailey. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is the second part where we went over all the paperwork from Idaho. Oh, there's Emma. Hello, Emma. She's eating pizza delivered by Gerald Schmidt. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in tonight. 
We're going to be back next time. Until next time, we'll let you know we're going to be on. So, go to our website, midnightred.io. Let's turn a radio station down there. we got a lot of things going on and some updates. Uh, see, there's a lot of people who have fallen off. I think Electra went to bed. She fell asleep on her computer, no doubt. I want to thank her for um, taking over for me while... Taking over for me while I was getting hit by a bad storm down here. We'll be back. If you want to email me, it's midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. Again, that's midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. You can call 325-261-0892. Leave a message up to three minutes long. Until next time, good night, God bless, and all my best. Thank you.